Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine, and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Wednesday night, it's pretty much spot on, 8 o'clock and this is Series 10, Episode 26 of the World's Longest Running Motorsport Magazine Show. I'm John Hindorf, uh, live and uh, as you can probably hear, we're sitting enjoying a beautiful evening. It's been too hot today, almost too hot. Uh, I've been out on the motorcycle all day running around doing stuff which will become important this weekend, of which more later. And it was too hot to be on a motorbike uh, today. Uh, But I'm not going to complain about that. I've just pushed through it in a very English way. Uh, Up in London, and having just returned from the colonies, uh, is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Hello, Tim. It's one of those evenings, isn't it, where it would be really nice to just sit outside with a cold beer. Mm. But I can't do that. No. No, well, not while you're doing this, but we can, which is well, nice. Well, I, c- I could sit outside. What I can't do is have a cold beer, because uh, while you I was away, Johnny Palmer's drunk it all. And eating all your ice cream, apparently. I haven't got other. as far as the ice cream yet. I uh, want to go and look in the freezer, because I need something with my strawberries. Uh, the... OK, that's fine. Uh, on a packed programme tonight, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. Excellent. Um... News. We have some exclusives. We have okay. some interviews. Right. Um, and other stuff. Then we have some other stuff. We we're going uh, to try and catch Brian Sellers before he jumps on a plane. We have some uh, regular contributors. We have some, some very regular contributors. Which one is sitting just to my right? Good evening, Nick Damon. Good evening. Is it John. too hot for a motorcycle today? Yeah, you could have told me that before I rode over here, melted at 36.5 degrees on my indicatory thing. I, was, I got saw 37.8. I was getting, a bit, brain was getting too hot, and then a woman tried to kill me in Thrapton. Ah, well. And that was nothing to do with anything historically, just because she's a bad driver. Uh, on, uh, Let's uh, quickly get away our housekeeping. Apologies for absence tonight from Right Turn Lover. Travelling again. Those dinner with colleagues again in Cairo. Oh, well, at least that's new. I suppose we should be playing Walk Like an Egyptian for you. Walk Like an Egyptian. <sighs> Money Elysium says, five meetings today, busy, but uh, so catch catch you on the podcast. But I have already started uh, booking Le Mans 24 for next year with travel destinations. Well done. Uh, apologies for absence as Ken's house. It is Canada Day. Out and about doing lots of Canadian things, eh? Hello, all of what, our Canadian what, what, what listeners. What is a Canadian thing? Ah, you've got a lumber, lumberjack. Milking maple syrup from something. Yeah. a tree, obviously. From a Mountie, I think. You <laughs> yeah. get maple syrup from a Mountie, don't you? you? Cut open their leg and they bleed maple syrup. They do, that's right. Um, and they'll be playing 
hockey, by which they mean ice hockey. That's yes. very Canadian. Um, They'll be chopping down trees. The only thing I remember uh, the Canada I know being specifically good at was strip joints, which is oh, okay. a long time ago in a different generation. That's because you only were. went to Montreal. And they were very good strip joints. Uh, Billy Earl says, apologies for absence, but trying to score brownie points so I can come to Snetterton at the weekend for the 360 event, of which more later. want to see lots of you here. Uh, at the biggest race in the UK at the weekend. Well, the longest race. Anyway. Uh, excuse for options, says Ben Macro. Uh, watching six hours of Glenn on YouTube. Don't say who won. We'll listen in tomorrow. Car. Okay. Someone won. Oh dear, I hope he hasn't heard this. More, than, more than one uh, person won. And hello to David Williams at 24 Hours to Le Mans. Uh, there'll be some stuff about that a bit Apparently, later on uh, as well. Graham Goodwin is a, a lumberjack and he's okay, by the way, for, for, for the Canadian league. problem is that he sleeps all night and he works all day. But he's actually eating lunch and going to the laboratory according to this line. Ah, really. Simon Hoff uh, says, in emergency meeting planning... Uh, apologies for absence. In emergency planning meeting, sort out Le Mans Holiday Classic and Le Mans 24 for 2016. Excellent. Good stuff. How do you have an emergency with 11 months ago? Yes. Uh, Racekeeper says, apologies for absence, I've melted. Yes, I know. A- Andrew Backer says, apologies for absence, stocking up along with post-race tech for a 10-hour road tip for the holiday weekend. Very good. So where is it a holiday weekend? Well, it's Canada Day. Oh, it's Canada again, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, well, no, hang on a second, I man. Think, it's 4th of July. In, I think in the other colony, yeah. Oh, it's 4th of July. Uh, yep, the other colony. Ah. The one the Canadians It'll be all overran fireworks and grill-outs and not waving particular flags, but waving other flags and everything else. Ben it's Clark is listening live tonight. flagged over in America at the moment. So, nobody, no need for apologies for him. Apparently, you've got, you, uh, there's probably with, with the flag marshals as well, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll be late installing a Wi-Fi antenna at work says uh, Jack uh, Shalowski, I think that is. Have stolen an ice cream van, now sat in its freezer, so have no internet connection, says Craig, M- Craig Mace. Then how did you send the apologies, Craig? Uh? You've, uh, you've clearly stolen the wrong ice cream van, though, because all good ice cream vans should uh, be giving free Wi-Fi to their customers now. Uh, no apologies to absent, uh, for absence to dear listening live. Uh, can the Greenville Collective get a shout-out? There's eight of us. No, certainly not, Scott Buse. Uh, Drew Bergwall's listening in tonight. Hi, Drew. Uh, Miss Jax is watching the new Minions movie tonight. Sorry, the weekend. Nah. Worth it? Oh, he's pulled a face. <laughs> it's everything it's we hoped as, it wouldn't be. It's not as good as the Despicable Me's, but it's, it's uh, perfectly fine. As, I didn't uh, like Despicable Me. Oh, I did. I like them both. Uh, that's There's the no South Racing it though. That's the South Carolina Greenville Collective, by the way. Oh, yeah. Uh, is there another Greenville? Yeah, there's one in North Carolina as well. I reckon that I yeah. would think that in America there are probably about 20 Greenvilles. Is it like Springfield? Apologies for absence. Used mm. all of my data streaming at a race I got drenched in weekend and it's still running in New York, says Cam Walsh. John Slaney, uh, three, 3 o'clock in the East Coast, going through emails at work, but still listening, he says. Uh, and so there we are. That's got us up to date uh, with a bit of apologies for absence. Just after fu- the last one, he apologises for absence, but still listening. Yeah, uh, we have a we're born to pick with you. What have I done? Where were you last week? I was in a plane from Switzerland. Why did you not submit an apology for absence? Because I told you I was in a plane from Switzerland. That's not Switzerland. the point, though, is it? All right, can I apologise in advance for next week? Are you not here next week? I'm doing a live commentary in Italy. It's protocol. It's protocol. It's process. You know in what the responsible adult says? In which case, I will send an apology next week. Yeah, it has to be funny. 
That's a bit of pressure, isn't it? Yeah. I'd also like to apologise for not being here next week. Really? Yeah. Well, you're not here next week. Is it next week or the week after this? I'm not here. I can't I don't know. remember. Why are you asking me? <laughs> Hang on a second. Mystic Hindoff here. Mm. Oh. Mm. No, you're going to be here both weeks. Right, let's move on. What, uh, what's enough, your first I can't see anything in my calendar which says uh, I'm doing something else. So maybe I am going to be here next week. Alan Prosser says I won't miss the end of the, f- of the show tonight because my dad's still in this week. Excellent. Uh, right, come on. Uh, just to prove that we are live tonight, uh-huh. as not. if the, the heat <laughs> and uh, all the other stuff, uh, it's uh, 1-1, just uh, kicked off in the second half. Oh, good. Excellent. Big night tonight, of course. Yes, for uh, I watched it last both night as sides. Well. For pretend football. It's the best football I've seen in a long time, but then again, I've supported it. I think you're talking, about, ah, let's agree, I think you're talking about, about different football. Let's I'm talking about, about tonight's big uh, match in the UEFA Champions League between uh, B36 Toshavan and TNS of Wales. Sorry, there's, there's a team which is actually sponsored by a, a vitamin. I've got plenty of B36. Uh, I think You're uh, a Gillingham supporter. If you want to watch real football, watch the Women's World Cup. I've watched the Women's World Cup. I'm speaking for what I say. I did, it personally does not float one's boat. I sat and watched it in the bar at JFK last night. Mm. Right, anyway, let's move on. This the is more sports show. might have been a little bit biased. Yes, I noticed that when I was watching England-Canada as well in Canada. the cottage on the lake. Uh, right, come on, let's go. What's the first story? All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, there have been some uh, results of some surveys published. Have uh, there? Yes. Well, I know a result of a survey, I'm not sure, or some result from a survey, but you're making out that the survey's plural, so tell me more. Uh, well, uh, there is a survey that's been done by the Grand Prix Drivers Association. There is. Uh, and uh, that has uh, come up with what? Well, everything it's come up with. It's basically well, come up with start, the fact that What were the questions that were asked then? Well, start, I think the start, big question. Start with refueling. <laughs> start with refueling. They have to go do fuel laps first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, that's a, I'll, I'll give you... Uh, well, I'm going to find the right page. Because they, t- they were asked about what particular um, elements the uh, fans liked. They, they, by the way, the fans are completely wrong about some things on this, by the way. Yeah. Well, no, no. The fans can't be wrong. It's just a view. No, they're completely wrong. And you'll know they're, they are mis- misinformed. Yes. Right, okay. Uh, Nostalgic. Race refueling should be introduced. 60% agreed with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's 40% didn't. Exactly. Um, and the tyres? Uh, and the tyres. There should be more than one tyres player allowed. 80% of mm. 257,000 people. And well, durable not a bad rubber? Sample. Pardon? Or was it more durable rubber? That's a completely different subject. Uh, <laughs> um, so that was, the, that was the only thing that we went massively for was... More than one tyre supply. Success Palace, reverse grids, lots of entertainment. No, type reverse stuff. grids is eighteen percent. That's the right answer. Right. The eighteen percent who voted for it should be ashamed of themselves. Success Palace, twenty-six percent. No, you should be ashamed of yourselves again. This is F1, not touring cars. Um, points of qualifying, thirty-eight percent. What about pass system? Well, yes. no, this is it. very controversial. The introduction of drag reduction system has improved racing. How many people said yes? It has improved racing. I think less than Damn. you would think. So how many? I think under 30%. No, it's 40%. Four out of ten people think it's improved That means racing. six out of ten people don't think it has. Yes. And there was another are... question about them, though, wasn't there, Nick? What about pass flaps? Yes. No, I can't find that one, so you have to tell me what it was. Uh, 
are you in favour of keeping uh, the drag reduction system? Well, ah. my, my version hasn't got that question. We've found a different version of the answers. This is how we see now. Mystery already. Uh, so 49.6% versus 50.4%. Uh, which way? At least it adds up. Which way? 50.4% are against keeping it. 96 are for it. So... Pe- the people can't make up their minds. People I, I don't have a clue. No, yeah. and I think I think the, uh, the most uh, interesting uh, output. There's two interesting. This is my my, my particular most interesting one. Is the you know how they want you to use words to yes. describe um, the event. The F1 is <laughs> an event. So they took the last uh, service in 2010. So 2010, you remember, is before mm-hmm. the uh, Fettel domination. So yes. it's in that year, which was quite a good year. Yeah. And the three words they used in 2010 uh-huh. to explain. Uh, Form one was number one technological, yeah. number two competitive, right. number three exciting. Right. Uh, in 2015, technological still there. Right. No, it's no, dropped no. one, made to second place. Okay. And now the number one word used to. Oh, what was the third word? Then? Well, number third word is boring. Really. And the number that, one. So hang on, hang on. Before everybody pillories us, this is not our survey. No, no. This is this, this is, is the, the Grand Prix Drivers Association. That have have pulled the fans. Now, in fairness, it's a self-selecting group, so you're more likely to. Well, I don't know if you're more likely to say something if you're being positive rather than negative, or negative rather than positive. Mm. Okay. So, what is the the number one word to describe? So we have technological but boring. Boring at three. Boring. Technological at two. And and number one, best word to describe Formula One. Predictable. Nope. Expensive. <laughs> <laughs> we well, can't argue with that, can you? In that case, the fans are right. And this particular thing, 65% of people in 2010 said this. It's now dropped to 45% of people. So that's a a drop of over a third. And that is F1 does feature the best drivers. So So at least 45% of people now think the best drivers are in F1. So that means that 55% of them don't. Don't. Wow. Our survey says. Anything else interesting on there? Because uh, I've F1 been getting, getting a bit bored of it now. F1 fans are most likely to be interested in the World Endurance Championship, apparently, as well. Really? Yep. Good for them. <laughs> oh, no, then uh, this is the one I don't agree with at all. Um, right. You're asked your view on the past. Yeah. And you're asked to vote for which decade produced the best-looking cars. They said the 90s, didn't they? No, they said the 2000s. Oh. No, 1960s. It's, uh, given the cars in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, Definitely look better in the 2000s. That I have no idea what happened, why they thought the 90s cars. 70s were, best. were quite good as well. They were 80s quite were quite good. Anyway, that's the thing I don't agree with. Okay. But uh, but, you do, but you see, you've got to think about age. Is there an age profile? Is the demographic? Yes, there is. Of the that? average age is 37. Well, there you go. There's your answer. Most people weren't alive when those cars were around. Yes, no. but that still doesn't mean you should like. No, but they were but alive in the 80s and 90s, though. Mm. The, the the thing is, though, yes, but. The thing is, you are most... We talked about this the other day, about um, um, about classic events. You are most likely to be interested in the cars that you first... Well, that first drew you to the sport. Yeah, possibly. Whatever that sport is. So, so that should be the cars from probably age 7 to 17, though. So that depends when you were drawn into it. Mm. I can't think many people would have been drawn into it later than the age of 17. If the average age is 37, that means... Over three quarters have been supporting F1 for over 10 years. Yeah. So, if the average age is 37, um, that is taking us back to... They were born in the 1980s, weren't they? Mm. 1970. 
80s, 90s, 90s, 2000s. 90s they should be into. So they, sh- they should be into the 90s and 2000s. That should be the cars that they would be interested in, and that's what the survey says, Kerr and indeed Ching. Moving on. Uh, let's get some reaction to this. Uh, what do you think uh, Christian Horner said about uh, having more durable tyres? We're pulling out of F1. Um, <laughs> rubber? Who needs rubber? He's going, I'll, I'll talk to Jerry about it. Uh, I, uh, we need an engine first, never yes. mind the tyres. Never mind the tyres, yes. <laughs> he actually said, more durable tyres will make the racing worse. You'll have one-stop races, which are never exciting. Mm. That's true. No, it's it absolute. Is, you think pit stops are all that make racing exciting. What did... Uh, Always good. I think they should throw in a few full-course cautions to, to mm. bring anything back together again. But that, without that a safety would... car. Oh. Yes. Yeah, can we the green and white checker as well? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I called what, for one what of those did, the um, what did Manor F1's Graham Loudon say about refuelling? Well, it's going to be too expensive for us, like, because, uh, you know, we haven't got that money that uh, we were supposed to Is have. Is he Welsh? Yes. Uh, he said, uh, people haven't thought it through. Uh, they're obviously forgetting. No one used to overtake when we had refuelling. It Correct. was all done in pit stops. Correct. Um what does uh, Eric Boulier say about uh, getting rid of drag reduction system? Hang on a second. Do we have to take a grid penalty for that? <laughs> um, we are all one team. Everything is going fine. We're our last Honda. Yeah. Uh, how many tokens? Oh, I am a little more closer to the door. Ah, I've fallen off. I caught a de la porte. He no, said, what did he say? Uh, I watch old races sometimes at home, and you look at the huge gap between the cars, there was very little overtaking, but we enjoyed the races. It's true, it's true. Well, there were periods oh, where we, it was we, very close, and periods where it was just dominated. That's, that's always been the way. It's always been the way. It's cyclical, exactly. What did uh, Pirelli's Paul Hembury say uh, about the survey? I love everybody. Clearly, everybody loves what we've been doing. This has been a very exciting time for Pirelli. We've only done what we've been asked to do. Honestly, we could build tyres that would last and, 24 and we've hours. And we've changed our mind now. We want to have wheels of any size you like. Any size so you want now. In. 21 inches, don't mind you that. You have those kind of rims, 36 you, see, have inch the rims, rims. you see on a rapper's uh, Escalade. Not a problem. Mm. 36 inch rims we're going to have. He did say that, actually. That's do you know, he did actually say that. They are prepared to do that's gonna, anything. The, the thing is that that will help with the aero regs because the cars will be so high off the ground Good point. that you know that's fine the new regulation will be you have to be able to walk underneath it with a man at five foot Ooh. eight it looked like professor pat pending it's when not he's going to go no thing. that wouldn't happen because they wouldn't be able to use the tunnel in uh, abu dhabi and they've paid the most money sorry john it's good apart from that uh, they'll have to change the tires going in and back again yeah, they, going just, out. they just have exactly the same system they had uh, in the 80s, they have a lowering device. So when yeah. it goes over the waybridge, it's yeah. five or eight with the ground. Pull the device, it's down. Yeah, nobody will notice that. No, no. because the tyres are more durable, they won't need to go into the pit lane. So it's not an yeah. issue. Well, that's a good point. Well, no, well that's, yeah. Well, we've solved it. We, we, we just so they'll change one. the tyres on the grid. <laughs> we just solved it one. As they yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Okay. They have it with their final drive race. So what, what did Paul Hembury actually say then? He said, uh, if you want exciting racing, the survey results go against that. Uh, you can't uh, base a direction on Formula 1 on the results of a survey like this. Basically, they're saying and the fans I think don't we know what they're talking about. Yeah. And, Rotation, and said they talking are about. Prepared. Rotation said Pirelli prepared to do everything. Morbius loop tyres confirmed. Absolutely. Oh, very good. Depending time soon. Yeah, very good. Uh, it won't, no matter how many passes per race, says Thomas Kubiak, 
it won't affect, affect mana anyway. <laughs> they'll, they'll just get past more. Mm. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, very good. I like that. They actually want less. They, they, they mana should be in favour of less pit stop because it means they don't get past again when someone just passed and then fallen back because the pit stop has to pass them again. Mm. Should we move on? Yes. I think so. In my recent trip to the colonies. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in order to get from place to place, I've you visited a number of places. I, I, uh, yeah, thank you. I used a coach. Really? Yes. A greyhound. A coach. life coach. Greyhound coach. Right. Uh, are they, still, are they still like um, you know, aluminium sided and that sort of thing? Some of them are, mm-hmm. but mostly they're not. Sorry. They're, they're aluminium, of course. They're American. They're, they're just like any coaches Buses. anywhere else. It's um, a bus. Disappointing. Boys and buses have a lot in common. Anyway, I I quite enjoyed uh, uh, employing the services of that coach. Uh, you got internet on it. But I you did have stream anything on it, it, could you? But not not streaming and uh, on the Coach USA ones, not YouTube either. Yeah, okay. um, but really? Pastor Maldonado says yes. he has no interest uh, in getting a coach. Yes, that's a driver coach. Yes. And more importantly... Well, you don't want a coach without a driver, because then that would just be dangerous. You'd have 52 people careering around completely out of control. You passed Maldonado with the coach. That was the driver. That would be a driverless coach. That's true. So you must have a driver and a coach. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I wonder why someone asked him whether he thought he needed a driver coach. I wonder. Particularly as... Uh, Does he get through life all right? Does he need a life coach? I don't know. He's in, got someone in, that looks after in his June, He's been having that lower brace for about four years. In June, he scored points in consecutive Formula One races for only the second time in his career. Right. Don't forget, he's a Grand Prix winner, everyone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why he decided not to be interested in a coach. I think I think, I think anybody should be interested in any, any sort of potential to move themselves forward. His teammate uh, used to have a coach, didn't he? What, Roman Grosjean? Yes. That was because he was in big trouble. And people weren't really being very nice to him. Who who did he get as his coach? I actually can't remember. I was I was I was, I was stalling for time then. <laughs> it's a bit like a melted Mars bar. Jackie Stewart. So Jackie Stewart. Wow, that's a top coach. Round Alton Park in that old Capri with the ball and the big dish. So who would you get if you were past Maldonado? Who would I get? Yeah. Uh, um, who's that? That Russ thingy, the uh, stunt guy. Russ Swift? Russ Swift. Swift. Paul Swift, probably, now, I would yeah. think. I don't know. Or I'm sure Russ Swift's still got uh, the ability to teach. Basically, you want somebody who's who's very good at... Uh, actually, you know, who's very good at crashing, but is a bit quicker than Pastor Maldonado. So, uh, how about a fully There's no fit one Robert faster Kubica? than Pastor. Well, yeah, possibly. I'm not sure, actually. I think, I think it's a very good question. You should throw it out. Who would be the best... Uh, Pastor Maldonado driver coach at Specutainment or at Radio Le Mans uh, Alfred Wallace says uh, on the Formula 1 survey since fan boost is now a thing how about live fan safety car um, if Pirelli say they can make anything why are they not in endurance racing mm. Mm. I, I hate fan boost by the way mm. on the I'm subject of uh, no 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 moving on okay. Graham Goodwin says Robert Kubica but yeah, for crashing. What would you say, John? About what? Uh, as a coach, if you were pastor. If I was pastor and I needed a coach, I would say uh, Alex Vert or Alan McNish. Are you being serious? No, no, no I am being serious. I'd, I would, I'd I... go with Alex Vert. Mm-hmm. Um, but when um, or David Brabham. When pastor first signed for Williams, 
Didn't they employ Alex Wurtz as a driving um, coach? Had he gone by then? No, I think I think he was I think there. He'd gone then. by then. Really, I think he might. Have Nick Holland says point. Evil Knievel. Uh, Bert Hendrickson says the Stig. Yeah. Uh, well, he's got nothing to do at the moment, has he? The Stig, obviously. Tacky in here. <laughs> Robert Pitt. <laughs> uh, your silence speaks volumes about pasta. Jason Plato says Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com, mm. tweeting from S H E T. Jason Plato. He's got a nose for that kind of thing. He in certainly fairness. has. He'd certainly be good with the self-publicity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it could be. I don't. Th- I honestly, I think. I think Maldonado could probably j- teach Jason a couple of things. Yeah, he'd be a fabulous save in Austria after he lost it in the first place. Moving on. Teach him about uh, getting oil from Venezuela. Yes. What was that? What's what? I just heard something very thing. loud go past you. It was a big buzzy thing. It's, well, it's uh, a bit buzzy thing. It sounded like a motorbike hang on, with hang a on, mile away. Hang on, hang on. It's, hang on. it's not a plane. Hang on. It's one of the two Holden Monaros we have uh, in the town, I ah. would say. I think that's the red one. That's got the bigger <laughs> exhaust on it. The red one. There's a red one and a black Honestly. one. Honestly. So customer cars is uh, our next topic. What, what, John Denis Delatraz says rotation. Well, because people don't want them. People do want them. Customer well, cars to get where? Customer cars oh, have we not done this enough? I'm sorry. Bored now? Ah, stop. It's only because there's, uh, Very exciting. there's news in the customer car world. Really? selling one. Um, which is, is that uh, Gene Haas has yeah. said he'd be interested in running one if it was uh, better Ferrari. than... Uh, mean, unlike the one he's running next year, you mean? Better than uh, building his own. You mean unlike the one he's running next year, which would be a thinly veiled and uh, Ferrari and using all the air, the wind tunnel time for Ferrari uh, and that sort of thing? Is that what you mean? I might mean that. Mm. I think that car will be um, similar. I'm not, well, I wonder if it'll be quite as close as the Ligier de Bernard of 95. That's the question for everyone. They were very similar. In a, in a completely similar sort of way. Uh, before we leave single-seaters, yeah. mm. uh, we have uh, some GP2 news. It's been cancelled. It hasn't. No, but there is another one. Unless you're Marco Sorensen. Oh, he's given uh, up, isn't he? He's has he? Yep. He said, I, I have no more money or interest. I'm going to go into something else. I'm broke. Mm. Uh, last season, in his uh, first season of GP2, he uh, got a victory at Sochi. Did he? Yeah. That reverse grade. Um, but so far this season... Yeah, uh, he hasn't scored a single point, He's despite the money, fact that he is at uh, Carlin, who should be uh, one of the best teams in the championship. Should be. And they've decided to get uh, Johnny Chicotto Jr. Johnny Chicotto Jr. will replace him. So uh, he's basically turned up with some more cash and pointlessly wasted. Um, well, not uh, not a uh, not a stranger to GP2, is well, he? He's not going to win the championship, is he? He's about 127 million points behind Soffold and Van Dorm, as is everybody else. Yes. Uh, and uh, Marco is off to uh, concentrate on his Aston Martin activity. That's just as well, really. You get much more better value than trolling around in the mid-pack to the back of GP2. Uh, there is a... Uh, series that has been cancelled for 2015 though hasn't it? Auto GP Auto GP has yes not been cancelled no no it's been put on hiatus <laughs> if yes. suddenly Postponed, every single uh, single seat driver who's wandering around with a large checkbook decides I want to do Auto GP uh, they'll, uh, they'll wind it back up again 
Yeah, so having already merged with uh, Formula Acceleration, we. Um, they've decided that they still don't have enough cars between the two championships uh, to uh, get a grid of at least eight at Paul Ricard. It's a very, very sorry tale. But in fairness, if we can strip out as many of these pointless series as possible, that's good. Uh, seven. What cars do they use? Old A1 GP. Cars. Yes, that's right. Yes, yeah. good. Very Excellent. old ones. A uh, few the first more. Generation four more tweets Lola's. coming in. Sam Pierce says, driver coach for Pastor, one of the guys who works at the fun fair and hangs off the dodgems. Oh, he'd be good, actually. Don't yeah. think he's actually got to be in the car with him, but I like the idea. Hmm. Maybe that's the way of getting around people coaching over the radio. Have actually, more, have a have riding more standing mechanic. standing on the back on, the, on a spike. Yeah. You know, and with, with, with Sparky sort of... Tell Ar- you what, that would work really well with Formula E because they have enough power not to change batteries. Brilliant. Brilliant. I see where you're going with not that. Not sure they'd like the extra weight, though. Richard Leach says, customer cars, can you take them back when they break? Hashtag got to get the receipt very good so what you're saying is is there a warranty on the customer car mm. what is fair wear and tear for an f1 mm. was it thing is was it fit for purpose <laughs> there's a couple of cars on the grid that you might point your that's finger at a very very di- I, I really don't think you want esther ranson and the and the uh, that's live team <laughs> turning up on the customer cars of f1 Ooh, 1970s tv uh <laughs> reference there. again 80s <laughs> Started in the 70s. Uh, That's when I watched it. So, yeah, Fasu uh, Regalia and uh, Antonio Pizzonia. Uh, yes, are I the think it's the fact that drivers Pizzonia who've won races in AutoGP so far this isn't, season. Isn't Pizzonia about as old as me now? Yes. Uh, obviously, <laughs> AutoGP uh, doing very well to uh, get new young drivers on the they career really path have. to Formula One by having Antonio Pizzonia up there. Mm. Fabulous. I um, well, you know, ultimately, it it does it does say a lot about what it was meant to do, and it hasn't, so it's gone. So I don't have an issue um, with that. You're happy to see it go by the sound of it. Well, didn't you do didn't you do AutoGP commentary? Wasn't that how you met Earl Bamber? Was that was no, that, that was uh, Super League Formula? But but didn't that become AutoGP? Same cars, weren't they? And they used, those were the Reynards, weren't they, from um, Masters Jeep Alpha? Oh, yeah. don't Sorry, I forgot. I You're getting very you, confused. I do apologize. All right, it's coming on to half past eight. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport at Spec Entertainment, at Radio Le Mans, uh, and on the, the forum, of course, at RadioLeMans.com. It's uh, series, series 10, episode 26. Uh, uh, apologies for absence. Uh, no apologies for absence. I'm listening live. For this week's 2G says apologies for presents. Very good, very good. Well, like, is it a bad present? Well, I'm done. Yeah. Presents, not presents. Uh, and uh, we shall move on. What? Uh, where we're we going now? Are we going across the pond next? Yes, we are. Yes, we've got a jingle for this too. Excellent. That's exciting. Uh, do you want me to play it? Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, I might not be able to. Do you want me to play it? Do you want me to take it up? <laughs> and now we're over in America for racing news. Hello, Marshall Pruitt. Uh, hang on. Just uh, just stand by. I think it's that one. No, no, clearly no, not. No, I don't think it was. Hello, think Marshall. Hello, Marshall Pruitt of racer.com. Hello, everybody. <laughs> sure, are, you, are you about to play Atlanta or something in the saxophone? <laughs> yeah, it does sound very good. Uh, 
Uh, we had somebody saying uh, that they went to see Fleetwood Mac live last week and when they played that all they could think of was me and you which I thought that was quite funny how are you big fella missed you at the weekend yeah unfortunately I'm going to be off the road for a little bit had uh, had surgery also pushed back to uh, October so uh, basically I'm looking forward to a strong close of the season push but a little bit of uh, traveling inactivity through uh, the next month or two mm. can we start off tonight with a bit of uh, indycar news um for those that didn't uh-huh. see it the weekend was there something that happened last weekend might have been fontana oh. auto club speedway well first of all there was a phenomenal race a phenomenal race Everything that I remember watching on Saturday nights for when IRL first came around, Saturday night pack racing under the lights, 200 miles an hour, people almost touching, side drafting, dropping interlocking wheels, all of that stuff. It was brilliant. Unfortunately, if a great race happens and only 3,000 people turn up in the stands, did it actually happen at all? Yeah, brutal, Heidi, but just we knew it was going to happen. The date was set uh, at a time where if you live in or around Fontana, extreme heat and the wafting scent of garbage are just two of the lovely attributes. And, uh, yeah, with uh, temperatures in the uh, 90-degree Fahrenheit range, um, I mean, we're – Granted, we're talking 32 to 33C uh, throughout the event, uh, middle of summer. Uh, yeah, it's not a place with trees or shade or it's not a walk around a track or a walk around track. It's a go sit in the big grandstands on the front straight place. And uh, surprisingly enough, very few people turned out. So that's the sad part. A, a Possibly one of the, the most thrilling uh, IndyCar Oval events we have uh, we've seen in a really long time. Also, one where you know the hand of God seemed to be uh, protecting the field of 23 due to the uh, seeming endless string of potential catastrophes that were averted. There was one big crash or multiple crashes. One big one that Ryan Briscoe thankfully walked away from. But if you go back and watch the race itself and you as someone who was at Las Vegas in 2011, I'm not saying that Fontana was uh, Las Vegas 2011 2.0, but you can you could definitely see the uh, the pack style racing that happened and some of the really, really poor driving standards uh, produced by some drivers had the risk of Fontana turning into a Las Vegas where we lost it, you know, had the potential to lose at least one friend. Uh, Alfred Wallace said, not usually, an in, uh, as just said on uh, Twitter, not usually an IndyCar fan. I tuned in by accident, was hooked, really loved the race at Fontana. Uh, more wide ovals, please. Um there's a, there's a couple of things that came out of that. The crowd is one. The accelerated, truncated, squashed up, concertinated, whatever adjective you want to put in it, but just basically the really tight schedule is another. I noticed Robin Miller went to town uh, on Mark Styles at IndyCar and the, uh, the organisation... Uh, on his piece on racer.com at the weekend. And and I found myself nodding along to Robin there. Um, Auto Club Speedway tried to promote that race. 
Uh, and now you're left in a situation where they'll only have that, that racing series back if it's A, the last race of the series, and B, it's in September. Yeah, the pay money to come breathe hot fire and watch motor racing, those two things tend not to uh, tend not to go together. And Robin's uh, rant, and that's what he called it, I don't, so I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but Robin's rant, because it was, it was very much him ranting, it was, you know, venting. Uh, one of the things that was, one of the subtleties, because it wasn't, admittedly it wasn't loaded with subtlety, but one of the subtleties that maybe went uh, overlooked is the fact that the issues Robin described, the date, the calendar issues, um, even down to drivers and engineers saying, hey, this uh, aerodynamic technical formula you've mandated for Fontana is going to produce track, uh, produce pack racing and therefore increase you know, risk of, of injury. There's a general consensus, and I'm, whether I'm talking to very powerful team owners, very powerful drivers, to some of the smaller voices, uh, you, you can almost you know, speak to a man or a woman, and they'll tell you they don't listen at IndyCar. Miles doesn't listen. I've sent him an email, left him a voicemail, sent him a text, whatever it is. These things go unanswered. So, granted, he's in the senior-most position. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> When um, the, when someone at the tail end of the Formula One field has a grievance, I'm th- I'm guessing that a voicemail left with Bernie is probably going unanswered. So I get the fact that uh, the the person in charge of IndyCar and the entire Holman, uh, all their properties, including the Indy 500, is not going to be staying up all night attending to every single person's concerns and issues. But when uh, you know some of the names of the people who are reaching out with big concerns about the calendar, uh, team owners, veteran team owners saying, hey, we've been told by our sponsor. And this is, again, I won't mention the team or, or the no, sponsor. No, no, no. no, no. I, this is from a direct conversation with a team owner saying, you know, we have a heavily in – hey, sorry. Uh, we have a, we have one sponsor, one really long-term sponsor that's been with us. They've told us. If this calendar, if this condensed calendar continues, they're gone. And if they're gone, we're gone. Mm-hmm. So uh, this isn't just criticizing. This is saying that what this construct you, you've made could potentially force me out of business. And so you take a lot of those kind of keystone uh, issues and you start hearing from more and more people uh, that they've had these kinds of questions, uh, these kinds of comments, sent these kinds of emails, voicemails, otherwise, and they've gone unanswered. You go, oh, okay. These aren't grievances about, oh, I didn't get my uh, my parking pass for my motor coach last weekend. This is, I'm concerned about the health and safety of the drivers, health and safety of the sport. Here's some real evidence of where things could be jeopardized. And when those things fall on deaf ears, uh, not just with Mark Miles, there's also some of his lieutenants as well. Mm. That's where you get the general frustration we've seen bubble over. And I'll just say very quickly, we just finished uh, almost a one-hour um teleconference that Mark Miles held and within that, uh, in reaction to Fontana, he said that uh, for some of the stakeholders, meaning mostly team owners but drivers as well, uh, who speak uh, critical of the series or say anything they might consider damaging or or otherwise, um, there will will be considering what sort of sanctions will be held in the future. So you have an especially intractable situation, Heindy, where you have the the biggest players and the most influential, influential names saying they aren't listening. 
And so because they aren't listening, they get frustrated and they vent and let these things out publicly because they feel it's the only way to be heard. And then you hear from the people that aren't listening saying, but if you do that, you're going to be penalized and fined. I don't know how you fix that, but it sure seems like a broken, uh, a broken system. Uh, Tim Gray, our executive producer up in London, has a question for Marshall Prout of Racer.com, who's joining us here on Midweek Motorsport. Tim, what you got? I've got several questions. Uh, first of all, is there a reason why that couldn't have been a night race? Not that I know of, but other than... TV? Uh, it was on was NBC Sports Network, wasn't it? So, um, looking at their schedules, they had some... Uh, a very small amount of live horse racing immediately afterwards, and then uh, nothing live for the rest of the night. I don't honestly know. Uh, I just know, and mind you, this is me just listening to what I was told. Uh, I know that that was asked uh, immediately after the time was confirmed, and uh, it was just said repeatedly that the afternoon race was the only option. Uh, on the Maybe on the positive, last year's night race drew dismal rating i think it was like a 0.18 nielsen rating which is you know uh, mm. akin to uh, cats and you know uh, cleaning people left you know where the tv is left on overnight this year i think my again purely guess on my part but because it was held saturday afternoon um i think with a, a richer body of folks possibly able to flip the channels and watch uh that number i believe more than doubled uh it was oh, really? I what the final was but it's a really good number it's a horrible number but it's still a really good number for indycar i think the final ended up being a 0.37 so again wow. from from a year to year stance it's a big number yeah then you realize that on nbc sports network's direct cable motor racing competitor Fox Sports 1, Sunday's NASCAR race, at roughly the same time, produced, I think, a 2.2 or 2.3 Nielsen rating. So, again, a .37 is big for IndyCar, but NASCAR the next day on cable, uh, same cable equivalent, absolutely blew those ratings out of the water. I was uh, sat in a bar watching it with uh, a load of... Uh people who work in the uh, country tires series and they couldn't take their eyes off the screen so uh, uh, if people do find it then uh, uh, then uh, they are engrossed in it although i suspect that we, i was with a group of people who would have watched anything with wheels on to be honest we were watching it online on timing and scoring and we thought the timing and scoring was broke before we got pictures because everybody led for <laughs> half a second in the first part of the race it was unbelievable then i finished up listening to the most of the middle part of the race on xm sirius uh, in the lovely audi s8 that i was driving um and then i watched the final bit of it um on replay the next morning so it, I, it was interesting it was very interesting um fabian w says um from what fontana is saying uh, surely they're out of luck because isn't boston promised the season IndyCar finale for next year already, Marshall. That was something Miles covered in his presser today, and that is all what we assumed and expected, simply because they've said all along that they won't be going past Labor Day. Miles seemed to crack the door open on possibly um, making an exception going forward. This is the man at the top of IndyCar we should uh, mention for those that don't know. Yeah, and IndyCar for you know as well for those who don't follow this very closely or you know aren't that interested, 
uh, IndyCar has its competition boss, um, has its marketing and, you know, call it commercial boss. They don't have an actual CEO, per se, of IndyCar. Mark Miles, who is in charge of all properties owned by the Holman George family, Indy 500, some of their uh, non-racing interests, and the IndyCar series, he is the person credited with being in charge of everything, and that is how he acts. Uh, but he has maintained, due to the Boston Consulting Group's lovely million-dollar report, uh, which said that going up against NASCAR after Labor Day would be a ratings nightmare. Uh, he has maintained that they would not do that. They've set the schedule the last two years to fit that plan. He has said uh, today that they're willing to possibly extend that, but I don't think we're talking, you know, October. I don't even think we're talking mid-September. I think we might be talking maybe one week past Boston, uh, so maybe the first week. Uh, again, it's my guess, but at least on his based on his tone, um, he said he wanted to expand. Right now we have a five-month season, 16 races. He said he wants to go to seven months, roughly 16 races. But the, the goal, which was even held this year, was to extend that season by starting earlier compared to pushing it later. So if Fontana, if they do acquiesce to Fontana's demands, which I think they should, because Fontana spent a lot of money, lost a lot of money to have this date on the calendar. Um, they deserve something, and if it just means one week after Boston for the finale, uh, I'm all for it. There, last thing I'll mention on this very quickly, there are many dates on the IndyCar calendar. There are very few tracks slash events where the, the promoters are truly passionate and truly go the extra mile. Like there are many which they said, hey, if you if you were to go away, we wouldn't exactly lose any sleep. <laughs> the Fontana folks genuinely love IndyCar. They do. Their actions speak to it. They deserve to be rewarded by sitting through three paltry showings um, and to receive the full marketing leverage from IndyCar. A couple of notes from the forum. Cormac O'Connell, hello. Your eminence, he says, uh, how's this for a novel idea? Uh, run the season from the start of April to the middle of October and to hell with stick and ball sports. Uh, right Turn Lover says, I had a look at uh, Robin's piece. I don't mind a good rant. Uh, Is it just me, says Rotation, or has IndyCar not got any better since the reunification? Mm. Uh, Tim, one uh, before we move on with, with MP, you've got uh, a little bit more IndyCar stuff. Well, after the uh, incident involving uh, the two Ryans, Briscoe uh, mm. and Hunter Ray, um, someone, and I can't remember who it was now, it might even have been Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, said, why have we got uh, grass growing um, on that sort of triangular bit of infield there? If they want something that looks green, why don't they pave it over and paint it green? Uh, and that made me think... Given that California is uh, going through the worst drought in living memory, how have they got green grass there? Was it sprayed? No, I think no, they have been watering it. Was re- it. Qu- quite healthy grass, actually. Really? Uh, and the prop, I mean, it was a. <laughs> it had tinges, tinges of uh, morose visual connotations, but after the race, because the Schmidt Peterson Motorsports PR uh, boss, Monica Hilton, is. Uh, hilarious i guess took briscoe out to the grass where he dug the world's biggest golf divot and he (laughs) pointed at it and showed it and this is again pure coincidence but they went to the site where the nose of his uh honda powered delara dug through the grass which then prompted his cartwheeling 
And he laid down in it and was essentially a perfect fit. No way. So, yeah, I mean, I have to admit, when I first saw it, I'm like, dude, that looks a little bit like you're laying in your grave. But at the same oh, time, my goodness, he, man. He, he was laughing and playing with it. But, yeah, it, it was a, a big divot, and that was uh, it was healthy grass and uh, definitely saturated dirt. So, I mean, look, if they're willing to pay the bill, they're, you know, it's their choice to use the water. Just before we move on, we've got to talk about fines because there were some after the race. didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, it, it's, uh, tell us about them, first of all, and then I'll tell you why it didn't make a lot of sense. Who was fined how much? And then we'll go through what they were fined for. Who, well, who, who had well, the well, most fine? Let's actually, Heidi, and again, I know we need to speed through this, but let's have some. Let's have a little bit of fun. Yep. So there were three big incidents that warranted fines uh, in IndyCar's eyes at Fontana. Oh yeah, Nick's One good of, at this. Oh, go on then. Yeah, he's good at guessing numbers. So oh, this is a bit right, like okay. deal. This is a bit oh. like deal of the century. Okay, right. So they need fining so, people, right? Okay. right? okay. Guess which fine was the greatest. Okay. And which one? Which of the three was smallest, and which was in the middle? So right. we had three incidents that IndyCar decided to not. Uh, levy during the race and have since done post-race. Okay. They've done it monetarily. So, Will Power, mm-hmm. after crashing, getting out of the, getting out of his car, as we know, Will, very emotional young lad from Australia, mm-hmm. uh, got out of the car, had one of the, it was physically fine, uh, had one of the medical attendees uh, from the safety staff come over and essentially try and uh, took him by the elbow and tried to lead him away from the car towards yeah, the, uh, yeah. the safety truck. Uh Power, for whatever reason, was looking away, seemingly wanted to go somewhere else. Safety worker kept pulling at his arm, and Will, uh, obviously, apparently frustrated, turned and pushed him in the chest with both hands. It's it's worth noting that while the push was very demonstrative, if anything, you would you would watch it and say Will pushed himself away. So when he pushed, Will is actually okay. the one that oh, okay. traveled okay. the most distance. There's the a f- work- by the way, there's a five, a ten, and a twenty thousand oh, dollar okay. fine. Okay. And had he, okay. Sorry, uh, he had he crashed or broken down? He crashed. Oh, crashed. fair enough. He's, right. Yeah, that's was, fine. That's, was, that's fine. Was, okay. he's, so that's that's running on adrenaline. That's so that's fine. the first incident. Right? That's that's if you ever speak nothing. to a marshal in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that they're all taught is do not touch a driver who's just crashed. No, no, exactly. No, that's, that's, that's all fine. right, okay, that's sec- second incident. Second fine, yep. second, second incident, second monetary fine. Yep. Tristan Vautier right. uh, slid into his pit lane right. and into his pit box yes. and hit his left front tire changer, Ow. flipping that tire changer over the left front tire uh, and Ow. while hitting him, Basically, the uh, left front wing end plate speared him right in the oh, knee. Oh, my God. Uh, flipped him over the tire where he landed with both legs straddling the tire. Uh, was carted off, hauled off on a stretcher right. and taken away from the event to the hospital. Okay. And the third yep. was race winner Graham Rahal. Yep. Uh, with about 70% of the race done, mm-hmm. uh, was sent from the pits with his uh, fuel hose and fuel probe still attached. Oh, right, okay. Which, which ripped the fuel hose away, right. kept the uh, the aluminum, the metal fuel probe right. attached, spilled fuel on his yeah. side pod, on the uh, pit lane track surface, and by the time he exited the pits, the fuel right. probe fell out, which then had to be uh, picked up by the safety crew. Okay, so, we right. have, so you've got five, five ten, right. and 20,000 well, bucks. The 20,000 bucks is for spilling fuel. 25. 25. That's, that's obviously, that, that's an easy one. That's spilling, spilling right, fuel. Right, okay. What's the 10? I, see, I'm not quite sure. How, I know how they feel not about... In, not going over and hurting somebody I or pushing probably, somebody in the I'd chest. I'd probably go 
10 for running the bloke over and 5 for the chest, but I'd be... I could see it both ways, depending on what the precedences are in IndyCar. I think you've got one out of three, right? One out of three, yes. $10,000 to run over one of your crew. Oh, okay. The fuel... It's 25,000 to push a bloke in the chest. Yep. Yes. And leaving fuel is five. Five. Yep. Oh, you're... Five. No. (laughs) Really? So, so what we have learned, Nick, is (laughs) if if you hate one of your crew members and want and at least want the potential of setting them on fire, you just need to bring $15,000 to the next IndyCar race. I can't believe uh, they... That, 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 I'm sorry, Marshall, but that is... Yeah, I know they get, they get... There's always this wind-up afterwards about all the various... Sorry, uh, wrap-up afterwards about all the various pit infringements. Surely, running down the pit lane with your fuel hose attached, you can't get much worse than that, surely? Well, particularly when they use methanol and you can't see it burning, of Jeez, course. Jeez, that's really strange. Have they got have they got previous on people involved with marshals or something? Because that seems completely over the top for guys just crashing into running for high emotion. Uh, mm. Well, I, I don't I, th- I think you've got to be better than that to the marshals. But I agree that I think that there was um, I wouldn't have had any problem taking twenty five thousand uh, dollars off somebody for pushing the marshal. But I think that spraying the fuel all over was worth at least that, and running over your bloke in the pit lane was probably worth. At and least then that. there's the other the maybe the greater question, gents. These things happened. During the race, power obviously yes. crashed, so you couldn't add an additional penalty since he was out of the race. But for the other two, uh, Tristan Vautier, who hit his crew member, uh, and Graham Rahal, who had this, uh, who drove away, ripped, who did what we spoke about, uh, was not penalized and went on to win the race. So again, uh, it's not as Rahal. if these things happened on the final lap and the series did not have time to review the tape, make a decision. Uh, they had, in some cases, uh, 45 minutes to uh, more than an hour, yet tabled these items, did not act during the race, and decided uh, money was the corrective, uh, was what was in the best interest of the sport. So another interesting approach to uh, how one officiates a live motor race. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, just after 10 to 9 on Wednesday evening, Nick and me sitting, enjoying the last vestiges of a beautiful day. Birds still tweeting outside. And I you hear can, the birds. They sound wonderful. And you can too uh, on at Spectatainment and at Rachel. Oh, hang on. What's this? Two engines. Can't see it yet. Um, at the weekend, the uh, we were at Watkins Glen International, of course. Uh, and... Uh, and you uh, you went with us. Um, however, during the race, Scott Atherton popped in, and over about 20 minutes, which we interrupted the chat with him uh, whilst things were going on uh, on the circuit, talked to us about the relationship between the SEO and IMSA, future LMP2 regulations, and what would happen when PC went away. I want to, to, I want to play it again because I want to ask... Uh, Marshall, and subsequently after 9 o'clock we'll get Graham Goodwin, editor of Daily, Daily Sports Car on the talk about this. So Scott Atherton's in the booth, the race is going on, hence the the, uh, the noise in the background. The first question that I asked was with the new regulations that the FI and the SEO are putting out there for LMP2, is the direction of prototype racing diverging between Europe and the United States? And this they is what he said. For sure, but it doesn't mean that it's not a healthy process that's taking place and I think it's going to be an excellent result for all involved. As you pointed out the P2 car for the ACO as it relates to their category in the WEC 
the application to the European Endurance, uh, the European Le Mans Series, it's going to be the second category for them. It'll be a spec engine. It'll be intended for pro-am purposes. On the other end of the spectrum, our, our goal is for this to be our premier category. Not the goal, it's the mandate. We've, we've heard all kinds of rumors about what is happening in Europe, and that now seems to be rolling on with the four manufacturers, with the one four manufacturers, the chassis for one engine. That clearly can't work in the U.S. There's more interests at stake here, and manufacturer interests that aren't going to be allowed in the ACO category. Exactly right, John. And for us, this next-generation prototype is our top category. And what's critically important there is to have a platform that's attractive to manufacturers. So whereas the ACO version will be the same chassis but with a spec engine and not enable bodywork changes from the constructor, we will take that same chassis with those same four constructors involved but have an open opportunity for multiple engine manufacturers to put their technology, their drivetrain in the back, and also should they choose to be able to put design cues into the bodywork. So they'll be able to race here as a manufacturer, fully branded, their technology driving the car, design cues if they wish. And here's where it gets complicated, but it's the challenge is worth the result. And that is that those cars that are racing here in the Tudor Championship, with their engines, will still be eligible to go race at Le Mans. They'll have to use the constructor-provided bodywork, but that's not an issue. At the because same there's time, that one little line, isn't there, in, in the, the regs, no direct or indirect manufacturer involvement in P2. And that clearly can't work here when it's the top class of competition. And I think the, what you're referring to is the constructors... They wanted no manufacturer connection to any of the constructors. The ACO is open to us in the R format. They've been very cooperative. There's, there's been a lot of rumor and innuendo and some speculation that we've created some dissension within the ranks between our relationship with the ACO and the FIA. I'm here to tell you that that's absolutely not the case. The level of cooperation we have, unprecedented. And just to underline that, if you were to implement that right now, with the fact that we're going to get a Delta Wing-style road car coming up, that would take out every car that you've got in your prototype category at the moment. So it's absolutely common sense that that can't be, can't be pushed forward on this side. We will leave the question about how that gets balanced back uh, in Le Mans to another day because clearly cleverer minds than certainly mine will have to deal with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same list with you there, by the way. With that in mind, Scott, what sort of interest are you getting from your stakeholders? Because IMSA is all about talking to the paddock, talking to beyond the paddock, and the fans are a part of that as well. But clearly, in this instance, it has to be the teams, the sponsors, and the manufacturers. Yeah. The process to select the four constructor is moving along very well. It's a very comprehensive, detailed process, but that's on schedule. We hosted a meeting here Friday involving our manufacturer partners, both those that are competing with us actively now and others that are considering it for the sole purpose of getting their feedback and direction on how we craft those engine and bodywork regulations that will then be applied to the four constructors that will be building this prototype. Very active dialogue, a lot of good information. Uh, it can't happen soon enough in terms of us locking down those rules and regs, but we want to make sure we get them right the first time. And uh, there's a lot of really smart people that are working very hard 
to bring that to uh, fruition as soon as possible. Have we got a timeline, Scott, or at least something that you can tell us about? We know that the, the SEO and the FIA have invited uh, interests, uh, submissions of interests. They're keen not to call it a tender. Uh, and we should expect to hear something from them by the end of the summer. Clearly, that influences your timeline as well. Exactly, and I, I, keep, I don't want to put a specific date on it because I don't want to get it wrong, but I would say middle of July, we should know the four constructors oh, wow. that will be uh, uh, capable of producing the next generation prototype, and then our engine and bodywork regulations hopefully soon to follow. Very quickly, that, that, all of that is great news. Also, more good news, we've got the Ginetta LMP3 car here, yep. which is going to test here uh, on Monday, tomorrow. That being evaluated for a possible replacement for PC? It's, it's part of a process that we've organized ourselves to be able to make fully educated decisions. And everybody knows it's been announced for years ago now that our current PC platform will be confirmed through the end of next season. And we are now in the process of defining what that next generation will be. And it covers a broad range of choices, one of which would be the adoption of the LMP3 car as a potential replacement. What we've, in concert with Janetta Lawrence that you mentioned, great, graciously has provided this car for us to do some testing with many of our current PC competitors, as well as some, some new names that are considering involvement in the future. So after Monday and Tuesday, hopefully we've got some good feedback that it, this is something that uh, would be desired. It, it's a logical evolution, but no decision made. Not dissimilar, actually, to how the PC class came into being in the first place, because I think it was Road Atlanta, wasn't it, after a Petit Le Mans weekend? Exactly right. That Orica brought the 09, and that's, you know, that's that longevity of that chassis. Um, into that so not dissimilar to what happened in the past got there that's exactly right now the lmp3 format as it's configured by the aco now is different in that it has multiple manufacturers it does have a spec engine and a lot of spec parts but multiple manufacturers building cars all to the same regulation um, right now I, I can't overemphasize. I, he, I hate to be repeating myself but i don't want anyone to read into the fact that we're doing this test on monday and tuesday that it's a fait accompli, that we're going to do it. I mean, it is Data part gathering. of a, a full, educated decision-making. You may have mentioned that we reach out to the paddock often to get their feedback, and this is yet another example. Midweek Motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. Uh, coming up in hour two, we'll be discussing what you've just heard. Scott Atherton, the man at the top of IMSA, talking about the future of LMP and the future of their prototype category as it fits in with the rest of the world and the replacement for the PC category. That's still to come in this hour. We'll have more of your tweets at Spectatainment and at Radio Le Mans uh, and we'll be talking to Brian Sellers as well. We'll have him on the phone but next, we're going to get back with Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com and bring in Graham Goodwin, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, as we discuss the upshot of what Scott Atherton told us in our race broadcast at WGI, Watkins Glen International, on Sunday. It's all here. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. 
Marshall Pruitt still with us uh, from racer.com. So, Marshall, um, I, I know that you were busy doing other stuff on Sunday. That's the first time you heard that. I've cut all the bits out where we had to go to race action and there was pit stops and sort of amalgamated that together. But what I haven't done is changed the sense of what we're talking about. I haven't cut anything out that Scott said and I haven't cut anything out of uh, of my uh, questions to him. First of all, that is interesting for me because he mentioned Bentley um, at the very beginning of that. Uh, we pretty much thought they were going to be coming to Windsor next year, and, and it seems that that uh, is the case. Also, and by the way, hello to Graham Goodwin, uh, who is joining us. Hello, Graham. Oh, Graham, not quite with us at the moment. Um, but also, giving us a little bit more detail than I think uh, we knew already uh, about the timeline uh, on the AC on FIA, middle of July. Now, there's been a rumour going around about July the 10th for quite a while for the announcement of the, the four chassis manufacturers. But for me, the most interesting thing there is the acknowledgement that the requirements in the USA for IMSA are fundamentally different in a class that has to be the top class and attract manufacturer interest and dollar support than it is in the rest of the world in in FIA and ACO land where it's a pro-AM category uh, or an AM-AM category basically for privateers. Yeah, boy, I tell you, I, I have to believe that privately uh, after a long day of work at the pub, uh, a lot of the folks from IMSA wish they still had a... Uh, happy and thriving P1 class so they could just go with uh, ACO and WEC's uh, or FIA's spec P2 rules four chassis, same engine no, you know, just purely spec uh, because they're having to balance things and do things with it that um, granted I realize these are new regulations so when I say it was never meant to do you say well they can do whatever they want but uh, once again uh, America is taking someone else's rules and trying to modify those rules to fit uh, the needs that are greatly different than the original uh, concept for those rules. Uh, it's not like that means things are impossible. That's not doesn't mean things can't succeed. Uh, it just means that uh, for reasons that maybe I, I don't fully understand, um, we have uh, something where... IMSA has felt it is best to opt in uh, to these global P2 rules. Uh, they have had a voice in the rule formation, but Correct. I guess you could say looking at uh, how all the format, everything has come out, not sure exactly how much that voice has been listened to. So it, there's certainly a big challenge here. And, you know, Scott's note that, uh, you know, there's rumors and innuendo that uh, everything might not be ducky between both sides. I, if I was Scott, uh, and I was a CEO for his company or any or president for any company. I would be saying the absolute same things, whether it was true or not. You know, it's his job uh, among, you know, and some others with him. But, you know, it's his job to present stability and positivity for the product. So, uh, you know, the reality is they're going to go forward with this, whether everything is happy or isn't happy. Um, that's it's an interesting sidebar, Heidi, oh. but it doesn't change the fact that they've opted to go forward with this. So the reality is whether everyone's hugging and kissing and sharing Christmas presents or staring daggers at one another ultimately doesn't really matter. But what does matter is what IMSA gets out of this uh, process and is it everything that they want and their manufacturers need. So 
maybe a bit of a broad-based statement, but since they've put a lot of power in someone else, in another sanctioning body's hands or another group's hands, it's it's now incumbent upon them to make sure that they get what they want, since they have handed over a considerable amount of control. First time that I've heard anybody say uh, definitively uh, that IMSA will only use the four chassis. First time I've heard definitively anybody say that because I'll be honest, I didn't think they would because I thought if somebody came with a if a manufacturer like Honda or whoever came or Bentley came with their own bespoke chassis, I thought they'd be welcomed in with open arms um, if if they were allowed uh, if they were ready to go. Um, also, the first time Marshall that I've heard speak of uh, the IMSA runners. Uh, being allowed to go to Le Mans, we knew that was going to happen, but they will have to revert, from what Scott was saying there, they will have to revert to standard spec chassis manufacturer body, not OEM bodywork, not any of the stuff that they've played around with in the States. It will have to go back to bog standard. And that's the first time I've heard anybody mention that. Yeah, there. how's this? There are some fixed things that we know about, and I'm not intentionally not answering your question and just maybe want to answer it in a different way there are fixed things that we know about the uh, july 10 for example is listed in the tender by the aco with the chassis constructors so they have said that they will select them uh by the 10th i haven't said anything about announcing but they've set that as the that's the day when we decide date um as for what's happening in america and will happen in America. I think that there are many things. I don't know, but I, you know for sure. But I think there are many things that are essentially done and completed from a decision-making standpoint. We know that there's going to be manufacturer-specific body allowed. <clears throat> to what degree and exactly what areas, we still have to see what that's going to end up being. There are areas currently being discussed. There are areas that certainly seem like they're going to go forward, but will everything that's currently being discussed end up finalized? Again, something we'll have to watch. So uh, bodywork, you know, call it the spec bodywork, spec engines coming over, being used in America. If someone wanted to do that, would that be allowed? Um, what can go over to Europe from America since we're going to have a different American spec? And there's, I think they have highlighted all of the key issues to discuss. I don't know if we're talking strictly America, if there's enough definitive uh, answers to the American question um, that should be, or, or maybe we, we would hope would be in place by now. On the ACO and FIA side, they certainly, they've been very clear. This by this date, that by that date, this amount of manufacturers, you know, one engine, blah, blah, blah. So uh, at least on the European side of P2 2017, I think there are very few questions left other than to hear answers on who will the four chassis manufacturers be. I think we can call out three of them very safely right now. As for the engine, we don't know, but we've kind of, you know, pretty strong idea. It's the American part where there are seemingly variables upon variables in almost every major box where uh, that's going to take longer to get sorted out. Move on to the other part of it. Graham's having a bit of a technical issue at the moment. We'll get his thoughts uh, from the European perspective in a moment or two's time. Move on to the second part of that. The LMP3 car, which was there for test and evaluation purposes. Scott Atherton, very clear that this was part of a process that no decision has been made. Uh, it is just the Genetta, although other 
flavours are available, as we know now. I believe the test was brought to a halt because somebody crashed it. But I also believe that that car's been bought, uh, even in its crashed state, and will stay in the States. don't know if you heard anything about that. Uh, but broader question first. Um, PC is coming to the end of its life. The PC teams have been consulted, and they seem to like FIA spec LMP3 because gentlemen drivers like it. And whatever else you think about what goes from there, is having a car there not the right thing to do to get people to have an up-close and personal look at it? Yeah. Sorry, good Lord, I just almost swallowed my face. Yes, uh, <laughs> yes, definitely they needed to do it. Uh, for maybe the question I would ask, this is a hindsight thing because I didn't know what spec it was going to be running when it arrived, but this is a hindsight thing. Uh, do they wish they could do that Monday test day over again? I believe so, uh, simply because there were setup issues with the car. Ride height was was far too low, was bottoming heavily. That took comf that has us a pro driver can handle that. Uh, the gentleman drivers you refer to, that's when things start getting scary. Uh, their power steering issues. Uh, so in a car that is bottoming and hard to turn and is brand new and you had to sign a waiver for and pay a hefty sum if you crashed it, and it was crashed, mm. uh, that would also sap confidence. And the other possibly biggest thing is, uh, well, with those two items plus the biggest detracting point, and that was the motor being, um, you know, in its... Uh, European P3 spec, but uh, heavily down on power compared to the current, and it's been modified for 2015, uh, LS3 Chevy PC engine. You had a car that was uh, woefully underpowered, uh, didn't want to turn, and was hitting the track a lot. Um, so those things, I think, robbed the possible uh, super high-level impressive take that some uh, that people should have had. So could they go back? If they could go back and do it again, would they? Yes. Do I think they should? Should uh, that Janetta is staying, and I've heard more than there have been a few other models or a few other copies sold here in America too. Uh, would it be smart for IMSA to hold another one of these the day after Petit Le Mans like they did in 2009 mm -hmm. with the Eureka? Absolutely. And should that car be fully sorted? Should that is that a car that should be testing the week before to make sure it's shaken down fast? Yes and also has the power set in a range that would have it lapping at approximately the same pace the PC? Yes, because that's what people are looking for. A John uh, Bennett, who drove the car, um, what was, what was it, 12 seconds off of uh, the fastest PC lap time set the day before? Connor Daly was eight to nine seconds off. So again, don't mean that in a negative way against John, but you know, a pro was nine, roughly nine seconds off. A pro-am driver was even further off from that. Well, that's that's not even Cooper Tire prototype light speed. No. Uh, the one thing I did hear was the uh, Continental tires were fantastic, so that was good. And the, the support from all the manufacturers was great. But if I'm trying to pitch this car as the logical replacement for PC, I think IMSA needs to take another crack at putting that car at PC-level performance back on track. And I have to believe they're going to get a more positive response because there were some that walked away saying, uh, I'm buying that. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not how it just performed. The, uh, but it's it's found a buyer in the U.S. with, at the moment, nowhere to race it. Yeah, from what I understand, you know, uh, we're probably going to see that as, as more of a track day, club day. You know, if I'm lucky, we'll see it at uh, the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, trust me, I, I hope 
I'd love to see the class take off. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody that has seen the cars run uh, so far in Europe has come away saying, oh, those are horrible, get rid of them. Uh, again, I just think for to get American buyers interested, it can't perform significantly less than the current car that they have. Uh, we're going to give Graham Goodwin a try at dailysportscar.com. Good evening, Graham. Hello, Graham. Uh, so, so who can do a, a Graham impression at least? Come on, somebody. Am I going to be there for this next message? Yes, I am going to be there. Ah, right. Hang on a second. Let's uh, try him again. Have I plugged in my USB headset? He's got a problem with his USB headset at the moment. Uh, hello, Graham. Yes, hello. Yes, I have. Hey, look who it is. Right, he's going to sound a bit echoey because we're having to do this on uh, on his machine, Mike, so I apologise for that. Graham, we, we've heard their Marshall's perspective on what Scott Atherton said. Uh, regarding uh, IMSA next year, LMP2 needing to be their top class. Uh, as I, uh, as I think, uh, I know you were um, struggling to to get connected, so you might not have he- heard all of it. But broadly speaking, there was some new stuff there that I hadn't heard before, particularly on the American cars coming to Le Mans. We knew that would happen, but they will have to revert to spec bodywork from the chassis manufacturers. Correct. I mean, the, the, I think, you know, we'd, uh, we've already been, I think Marshall pulled together three very good pieces, really looking at where the status quo was for IMSA and the battle to retain relevance, but the cost that that might have um, for keeping IMSA, um, you know, different, special. Um, they need to have a marquee class. Uh, that's in their case is whatever comes from this uh prototype debate uh, but the, the there are more differences than there are similarities with the the class that they're basing that upon for the WEC and the LMS and uh, yeah you're absolutely right John uh, they would be re- uh, allowed to retain their different engines albeit performance balanced um, although that causes a few problems we'll come to that part in a moment um, but they would not be able to to uh, retain their their um, specific bodywork to those uh, those cars and the the big problem with that, of course, is if you look at the prototypes that we have at the moment in the Judy United Sports Car Championship, there was a pretty hefty amount of manufacturer involvement in those cars. Mm-hmm. Now that is something that is absolute anathema to the ACO and WEC because they would like uh, the factory efforts to be in GTE Pro and in LMP1. And, of course, it gives you a huge problem in terms of balancing those cars against what would be a spec engine for the rest of the class globally. What I don't understand, other than great writing, obviously, um, <laughs> is or great uh, financial uh, situations, um, well, that's easy is, to understand. Uh, is uh, it would seem that the part of the driving force behind this set of regulations is something that we talked about a very long time ago, much longer than the time scale that we're talking about, the FI and the WEC. If you remember, dear listener, IMSA was talking about a single open source chassis quite some time ago. And so what we seem to have got here is IMSA getting involved in something that it now doesn't want to be involved with. The issue being that they have a very different requirement for their prototype class um, that just happens to be LMP2 because they need it to be their top class. Whereas in Europe, it absolutely has to be a privateer class. We're talking about apples and 
tennis rackets again here. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, and I wonder how we got ourselves into this position. Well, the, pro- the problem is, is that, you know, on the one hand, you know, and I absolutely understand where Scott Atherton is coming. I didn't hear all of it, but I heard a fair amount of it. You know, they want relevance. They want that crossover. They want that link. But there is a point now at what cost? Um, you know, the, the game for the Junior United Sports Car Championship, uh, forget for a moment GTLM, come back to that. But the moment for them, it's a numbers game. They really haven't got enough of quality to sustain the the level of championship in that top class um, that they need going forward. It's fine in this kind of transition, uh, but going forward sustainably for multi-year programs, I'm terribly sorry, but it's not very convincing. Okay, uh, let's look at it from a, a European point of view. It seems that this is... Uh, a, a train that isn't going to be stopped. Uh, yep. July the 10th, we'll find out which four of the five manufacturers that we believe have um, put in letters of interest, not tenders, of course, very uh, careful not to say that, um, are put in their interest. Um, we think we know which ones they're going to be. Uh, yep. We think we know which one will lose out, and we think that'll be SMP and the BR yep. chassis. So that would leave Janetta. Uh, it would leave Onrock, Orica, Multimatic with Riley as the American yep. side of things, and that would be your four. Um, so we should find that out on for for sure on July 10th. Um, my there's a few issues that I have with this, but um, then we've got the situation in Europe where that has got to be rolled out. I just wonder if it's not time for IMSA to go their own way and do something because they clearly need something entirely different. I'm not convinced that what we need in Europe is what we're going to get, but I'm less convinced that it should be influenced by something that has a very different philosophy in the US. And if we come back to the European model, Graham, Mm -hmm. we've now got an issue where there will be people who currently run chassis in what we are calling LMP2, what Ingrid calls prototype, who aren't going to be able to run the chassis they've got, and what about them? Now, the obvious thing is, would they look at going to P1? And a P1 privateer category would then have to be, or a light, or a whatever, and a world championship, and a European championship for that, because surely it would have to come back in the European Le Mans series, would have to be created again. It's all very well for me to say that, but is there any interest in that happening? Well, I think there's interest in a whole range of things. What, what I think should happen, what I think should happen is I think they need to take a cold, hard look at it. There was a lot of, you know, if you haven't read uh, Marshall's three pieces, they run on racer.com, we run them as well on dailysportsguard.com. Um, a huge amount of insights, uh, some gathered comments, some of which was uh, was uh, had um, the uh, those that actually passed those comments attributed to them, some of them didn't. But a huge amount of work in terms of what was going on in the background. What? Okay, let's start with what could happen. They could run a global P2 class in the Tudor United Sports Car Championship. They just can't have it as their marquee class. They could have uh, they could have everything apart from the open tyre competition because we know that's something a bit different for for Tusk. Yes, but um, the ACO have stepped away from it. that. That's not all they should do. Yeah, they've then got the issue of factory-backed efforts and all pro driver lineups. 
The biggest problem that the Junior United Sports Car Championship have got is they don't have enough cars to have two classes. So they don't have the opportunity to have a Pro-Am P2 class and a full Pro, partly factory-backed, call it what mm. you will, P2 Pro, P2 Plus, or even LMP1 Privateer. Yeah. They don't have enough in terms of the numbers. And the problem is, at the moment, is that the, the, the clock is ticking for this process, and I don't think they've quite got their ducks in a row yet. I don't think they know where they're going to stand in two years' time because they're still having that debate with their current competitors and, of course, trying to speak to new ones. Mm. And the problem is, it is at the moment, how do you cut the cloth of the eight, nine cars that they have to play with in their current um, prototype grid and who else are they expected to join the party? Yeah, Unless you can get to the stage where you're solidly in double figures, it isn't enough for two classes. It really isn't enough. Which brings us on to LMP3 and yep. the less than stellar debut in the US for the Ginetta version of the FIA LMP3 uh, fraught by issues. It's a very new car, but fundamentally not set up for the American tracks, running on a tyre that it's never run on before, and I'm told it hadn't tested on. Uh, the car was not up to pace, and 8 and 10 and 12 seconds off a current uh, PC car with current PC drivers, including uh, in- including pro drivers it's not going to sell that car now i'm not saying that it's a bad car not at all we know that not that isn't the case and we've certainly seen the pace of the car in europe to be about where we expected it to be but you're not going to endear people to that if that indeed is even one of the options well it's one of the options that's been considered um but you're not going to endear people to it by doing that sort of that sort of effort over there i think the answer is well look, first things first LMP3 in num- uh, numerical terms is taking off. Comes a little bit about that in a moment. But, you know, we are going to see pretty large numbers of LMP3 cars in Europe. And increasingly, we're beginning to start to see some signs of really good progress in Asia as well. However, it's not yet a mature platform. Um, I think that, you know, we've given uh, over time an LMP2, the powers that be, a right good kicking, let's face it, over the decisions that they've they've been making. I'd like to say on P3, I think they've done some pretty sensible things. They've got this thing up and running pretty quickly. Uh, there are clear areas where they need to take another look at um, the status quo. And the status quo to this point has been the Junetta Nissan. Um, but quite sensibly, before they start to meddle with the rule sets, they're waiting till the second and indeed potentially the third car are up running and available to be uh, to be shown and to be tested in performance terms against the rule set that currently exists. There are clear things that need to be done. The car is too heavy. Um, it clearly needs a little bit more pace. Um, no, what we don't know yet know is whether or not that's something that's proper to the Ginetta Nissan or whether or not that's something that's proper to the rule set. And we're about to find out because, you know, the Ligio is actually uh, out there and testing now. We know that the ADES, uh, the car that was previously known as the LAS, the ADES, has got its first customers too, and so therefore we'll be seeing that on track in the coming weeks and months. So by the time we get to late this season, into the off-season, there's going to be plenty of data to allow the rule makers, including IMSA, to take a look and see what needs to be done to put pace into those cars. Because, of course, those cars were supposed to be 
solidly ahead of the GT cars. Now, on occasion, they have been. Yes. But not solid. Uh, so what, what's needed here is probably them to find, on average track, three, four, five seconds. And the reality there is, for the most part, that is going to be an issue about weight. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, John, what do we know about uh, what's happened, what, what you need to actually take weight out of the car? You need money. Yeah. And, of course, that conflicts with the, the, the major raison d'etre for the, uh, for the class, which is, of course, a cost cap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, come back to you in just a moment. Um, I just want to uh, trail ahead to something this weekend. It's the 360 Motor Club, six hours at Snetterton this weekend on Saturday. And uh, we'll be broadcasting that live, as is in previous years. Uh, we'll also be running a charity car as well, which I'll be driving. Um, not sure what that's going to be. I'm told it'll be a Rover of some description, or maybe two Rovers. A, yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for... There was a press release on the uh, collector saying exactly what you're driving. Oh, what am I driving? It's a Tomcat. Excellent. The white oh, no. orange stripes. It's all announced, mate. You, you're, you're signed in. Excellent. Excellent. All good. Uh, and, and it's the always good when you w- don't know which car you're going to be driving. And, hey, uh, just turn up and put me in. The spectators can, do. It'll be, it'll be peddling. Um, the, the charity that is going to benefit this year is the Sick Children's Trust. As you might remember, we spoke with one of our uh, listeners, David Williams, just uh, around about the Le Mans time, uh, about the excellent work that goes on with the Sick Children's Trust. They've got facilities all around the country and uh, children, children uh, small children, children of all ages who are ill in hospital, they provide accommodation for families uh, who perhaps might be outside of the area or a little bit far to travel so that they can be close to babies and small children uh, when they are in critical care. It costs about 30 quid a night to provide a room for a family. It seems to me that is not a lot of money. So what we'd like to do is try and raise some nights. We're looking to raise some family nights for the Sick Children's Trust. Eve will put on the forum and tweet out the details. And you can always go back. In fact, I, what we'll do is we'll get Eve to tweet the the um, the archive piece as well. Uh, but if, in fact, Tim, can we play that after Midweek Motorsport tonight? Probably not. Um, I'll have a look. I bet, I'll I bet, bet you can find it. it. You've got half an hour. Um, we'll we'll try and play out the piece that we recorded that went out at Le Mans. Have a listen. I, I strongly urge you to stay on and listen to, to David's story, which was fantastic, um, and the work that they do. I was very moved when I went over to Addenbrooke's, which is where uh, one of their facilities is alongside the... Uh, neonatal intensive care unit at the NICU for very small and premature babies and they do a great job and would like to throw some um, some charity money at them uh, this year for the for the hard work they do you might already know that there's going to be a bike ride to Le Mans next year which we're involved in promoting as well which is why we did the whole uh, piece that we did uh, at Le Mans this year sort of trailing ahead 12 months but all the just giving pages are set up already and everything's done so I'd love for you to support that um, and that's what we'll be supporting this this weekend uh, in my Tomcat outing Thank oh you. yeah oh yeah um, does that mean I can call myself Maverick or something like that when I get well, if you crash it will he be neutered uh, <laughs> uh, right let's get back to Graham Goodwin and the, the talk that, that we were going through Graham um, well, quick question John yes, quick sir? question about your Tomcat do you have a uh, your traditional ringer Yet. Um, oh, that's a good point. I don't know, is the short answer. I'll speak to you off air about that then. Yes, please. Oh, excellent. Um, the 
Stuart Hart has just uh, uh, tweeted in, once four P2 constructors are picked, is it realistic to think that Greaves, Sard, Stracker, Jota, etc., mere look to P1L, uh, almost like a P2 plus? I think that's a reasonable point, Grim, isn't I think it? I, I think I actually raised that in the pit lane of Le Mans. I think you did. Yeah. I think, let's, let's put it this way. Um, I think lots of things are happening out there. Alliances are being formed. Plans are being put together. And uh, all I'll say is this. I'm not sure whether or not it'll be midweek motorsport next week or the week after, but I can guarantee you there will be news on that front. To be honest, Grim, it sounds more like Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Um, talking about uh, GTs, um, I, 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 actually, hang on, we, we need to break away. Can you stay for a, a few minutes, Graham? Cool. Yes. Um, okay. Um, hopefully, the technology is working. Tim, are we ready for Brian? Can we? T- yeah, excellent. Uh, Brian Sellers is on his way uh, to the airport at the moment uh, and can join us. Uh, and we could say, good evening, Brian Sellers. Hey, John, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. First of all, congratulations for the weekend. Fantastic run at uh, at Watkins Glen International. How do you describe that? It was hard fought for sure. Was it slightly unexpected? I'd say it was hard fought and probably in the beginning of the weekend, very unexpected. We... Uh... We struggled a little bit in practice on Friday in the dry. We definitely struggled in the wet on Saturday in practice. And so to be able to go into the race on Sunday and be good in both conditions was a little bit surprising. But we did our homework leading up to the race. We sat down Saturday night, had a big meeting, decided on how we would kind of split set up for the race on Sunday and rolled the dice and went with it. And in the end, it paid off, obviously, very well. What is that? actually physically mean that you sat down and talked about setup in terms of literally setting up the car differently to what you had it on the practice days i was i mean it was a, it was a, if that's what you did that was a bold decision because you didn't have a lot of time to get the to get the data that you needed yeah it was a bold decision and we had no time basically we we sat for probably an hour a bit over an hour and just broke down everything from to cambers to bars to wing settings um and we realized that we didn't have outright pace in the dry we realized that we didn't have outright pace in the wet but it looked like the race was going to be split conditions and we figured if we sacrifice a little bit both directions Mm -hmm. that maybe in those split conditions we would actually be better so we were a little bit softer in spring a little bit higher in wing than we had been and um I mean, all in all, I think we had a good a good race car, and I think if had it been had it been dry the whole race, it would have been um, probably not as great. And had it been wet the entire race, you know, we would have struggled as well. But uh, I mean, I think for what it was, we we hit the sweet spot. Sounds like what you're saying is it was more from the car setup than from the Falcon tires. We've kind of expected you guys in the past to come up with something tricky on the rubber side in the past, particularly when it's wet or uh, extreme uh, wet conditions. We know that some of your competitors in Porsches had these slick intermediates, which I believe they started on and gave them a big advantage. Nothing tricky from Falcon this time? This was just a proper team effort and getting the car right? 
yeah, nothing tricky. This was this was a team effort. I, I think we clicked on all on all cylinders. The guys were good on the stops. The engineering was good, and then I think Wolf and I both had good races in, in terms of uh, of average stint times and and you know through traffic and recovering. Um, and I mean, I think if if you looked at it, we we do have a history of being very good in the wet, and certainly everyone else is everyone else Michelin has has closed that gap if not surpassed it a little bit to where we we had been um so it it was not the race that everyone expected that it was raining and we would dominate we certainly didn't dominate in the wet I think at the end Wolf Wolf drove really well to hold on uh to the lead that we had got in the dry you uh had a cracking battle in the in your stint as well there was it was one of those races where the line, the normal racing line, was not being used that much, and that allowed for some audacious manoeuvres in terms of overtaking. You going round the outside of people at Turn 1, uh, I believe you passed an overall Le Mans winner at one stage, one of the Porsche drivers. That <laughs> that must have been quite sweet. Yeah, it was good. We had, it was, uh, I believe it was Tandy Gavin and I, um, for an hour, an hour and a half, had a really, a really good battle in some pretty difficult conditions where it was, uh, is raining in, you know, one or two corners on the track and dry in the others. And you, you had, uh, one lap, one guy would slide off and we would both go past. And I mean, we changed the lead a few times in that stint back and forth and back and forth. It was really, it was a really good battle. Yeah, very very entertaining from our point of view. Yes, that was for the lead of class as well. I should have mentioned that. It was marvellous stuff. Um, well, congratulations on all of that. We're looking forward to Canadian Tyres Motorsport Park, but I, I can't talk to you without talking about slightly further on than that in the future. We've heard the sad news that Falcon Tyres aren't going to be part of Derek Walker's team, which obviously is the team that runs the Porsche, the Falcon Tyres Porsche, uh, for next year that leaves the team with a big question mark over the top of it and at the moment that wouldn't there wouldn't seem to be any answers to that big question mark brian no there's no answers in terms of what derek's doing with his program right now i mean wolf is a is a porsche factory driver so where he'll be placed will will probably be dependent on them and um you know i'm a free agent come come well now basically but october we could always hope that um that Derek is is able to find something and keep the team together because I think over the years he's done a great job of equipping it with the right personnel and um you know we've been very successful uh and so it'd be great if something could happen and we could all stay together but at the moment that um that doesn't seem that likely that 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 could happen what what do you take out of your time with Falcon Tires and with and with Walker Racing, Brian? Because you've been an integral part of of the testing. You've been backwards and forwards to Japan and Falcon. You know, let's whilst it's very sad that they're going away, Falcon have have, have given an awful lot and they've put an awful lot into this team and and they've they've learned a lot as well. What have, have you as an individual and as a driver? What have you taken out of it? Well, I think first of all, it, it, you, you're right on your perspective. I think it, they've given more than 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 they're taking away, right? I mean, they've given a lot of people um, a good job for six years, seven years, which I mean is fairly rare in motorsports to think that you're going to be with one program for that long. So 
you can look at it one of two ways. Like you said, you can be sad that it's going away or you can be happy that you had it. And I think that uh, the majority of us are certainly sad that it's going away, but happy that we were we were a part of it. And from my perspective, it's been great because, like you said, I've been able to learn a lot along the way. You, uh, you've de- I've developed a, a, a certain skill set. I think that uh, you would have never had previous to this program the the ability to do tire testing and and to be able to test certain aspects of certain things that. Um, you can only get when you're in that position. And, and for me, it's really allowed me to, to build another, another part of my, myself as a driver. And, um, you, you constantly learn. I think Wolf and I have been good co-drivers for so many years because there's never been secrets between us, the ability to learn from each other, to learn from our engineers, the tire engineers. And, and I think that's what's made us uh, a good program and, and, and made me better over the years. You are actually off testing right now. We've caught you on the way uh, to the airport before you even go to Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. So clearly this is anything but a lame duck season for Derek Walker and for the Falcon Tires Porsche. You're hoping to get a few more wins and and send the team off in style? That's certainly the hope. I mean, when, when they first announced that the program was going away, one of the major concerns that everybody had is that they would kind of pull the reins back and the testing would conclude, the tire development would conclude, and that we would just hold on for the rest of the year. But uh, kind of as it were, it's full full forces forward. We spoke with the CEO at Falcon, and he said in his mind the money is basically spent for the year. And that he didn't do this to finish second. He did this to come out and be successful and win races. So while it will go away at the end of the year, that doesn't mean that this year is over. And Japan seems to have taken the same mindset. So like you said, I mean, right now we're going to Austin for two days. We have a test in Virginia um, later in the year for two days uh, that, that then we'll conclude our testing for the season. But they didn't shortcut any tests. They didn't take any tests away Good since the announcement was made. And I think that's all in the goals of, of trying to hopefully win a couple more races and send the program out on, on top end in style. Is it slightly frustrating that you've got to a stage now where Falcon is accepted on the same sort of level as the other tyre manufacturers in GT and GTLM particularly, and and they're going away. We know they're continuing with their GT3 tyre programme over here uh, in in Europe. And, and do, do you think it was a, a factor that nobody else took the tyres on, or was that never necessarily meant to be the case? No, it was never necessarily meant to be the case, and it wasn't a deciding factor. It is difficult because I think now we're better than we've ever been, and, and you see a lot of years of labor um, that will ultimately disappear. But I think that's why it's so important to to end the year strong, to take advantage of what we have, because this this could potentially show our labor of love, I guess, um, over the past six years kind of come to fruition in, in this one. So uh, it is difficult. Because, like I said, we're better than we ever have been before. Um, but it's kind of the nature of the beast, I think. It is, at the end of the day, a business venture for Falcon. And they got to a point where, the, the I guess, the juice kind of wasn't worth the squeeze, where they didn't, they didn't see enough return on their investment. And um, 
I don't know how as a CEO, when you have a program that, that is so very expensive, you go back and you tell employees that they have to make cuts or yeah. not give out year end bonuses, but spend all this money in racing. And I, you know, I just think that it was the right decision for them to make on an internal level. It should be said that uh, Folk are, are cutting back on a number of their other programmes as well. This is not just focused in uh, on IMSA and the GT uh, LM programme, not at all. Um, OK, it's Canadian Tire Motorsport Park. Uh, in terms of the layout of the track, it looks very similar to Watkins Glen International. I doubt we'll get the same sort of weather. I kind of hope we don't get the same kind of weather for the spectators. Yeah, me too. <laughs> a poor spectators, really. That was just uh, something else. Um, but the circuit itself, it's a natural uh, terrain road circuit again. Uh, it's a circuit that's... Well, you do deal in compromises there as well. How do you think the car will go there, and uh, how do you think you and Wolf will go there? Well, I think we'll be okay. I mean, we were good there in qualifying last year. Um, I, I can't remember quite why the race didn't go so well last year, but we were strong. It does resemble Watkins Glen. It also has some characteristics that resemble Road Atlanta, which, uh, you know, we we were good in Watkins Glen this weekend, and, and we've been good in Road Atlanta in the past um couple of years so i hope that it translates to to most port there are certainly a little bit of uh, differences in most port it's it, it's high speed but it's also you know it's hard to kind of get the platform you need in the car plus the compliance you need over the bump so it throws some you know some some small stitches into your setup maybe that that's different about Watkins Glen and road atlanta but I'm hopeful that we'll be good. I think we'll be strong. Um, obviously, the, the, it'd be a strong track for the Ferrari, the oh, yeah. Corvettes, and, and the BMW. But um, I, 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 think, I think we can have a chance. Well, I like the way that you uh, you you rolled the dice at the weekend. You and the you will find the team, and you you got your just rewards by uh, taking a few chances. Well done, Brian. What what's what's in the What's in the future for you then? You said you, uh, you're a freelancer, effectively. You're uh, looking for work at the end of the year. It looks like there's a big shake-up coming in GTE, GTLM, depending on which side of the Atlantic you, you're talking on. Obviously, Ford are coming in, and uh, whilst you know there's jobs there, that also means that people are going to move around. It might not be the worst time to be, uh, to be looking for a bit of work. Yeah, that's... That seems to be the case. I think it's one of those things right now where obviously you have your your phone calls in to everyone and to every program, and you kind of just wait and see where the dominoes fall at the moment and see um, kind of what the aftermath happens and who goes where and what seats open up and what opportunities you have. I think we probably won't know too much for another couple months where those seats open up and what they do, but it's just a matter of making sure you... I think you have your name in all the hats so that when they do open up, you're, you're not forgotten. Well, good luck to you and Wolf. You've been a fabulous addition to uh, in the IMSA competition, both formally and in the new era. And I think you know that you've uh, you and the rest of the team and that lovely Falcon tyres, colours on the Porsche have been a fan favourite. Brian Sellers, thanks for joining us and we'll speak to you up at Canadian Tyres Motorsport Park. Good luck to you, mate. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, mate. Uh, the Sebastian Tenkar tweets at Specky Team a small manufacturer uh, with a single car taking on Michelin and winning is just stunning. 
Uh, just for Le Mans, Jimmy B saying, always remember the Falcon Tire at Sebring this year, just mega in the extreme heat. Uh, surely, 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 Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com, Brian Sellers should be getting uh, some kind of recognition for the development work he's done with Fulton. Uh, he's clearly forged a, fa- forged a fabulous relationship with, with Wolf Hensler, who will not be out of a job because he's a Porsche factory driver, as Brian just said there. Um, and Brian should pop up in a GT car or, or something even better. Well, you'd like to think so. Um, you know, a very classy stuff there, I thought, from Brian. And you know what? From Falcon's point of view and from Derek and the team's point of view, if you've got to go, go as winners. You know, that's the way to do it. It's That's the best advert, isn't it? To just get go out there and show spirit. Uh, but, you know, with um, with what we know is coming mm. for IMSA next year, with the potential for lots of GT3 cars to come, um, then, you know, I think every chance that Brian Sellers will find gainful employment. Where is GTE and GTLM going? We know that Ford's coming in. I've got to say, and I'm sorry to be slightly a black rain cloud, I'm, I'm not really, I'm just reporting what was told to me. There's already unrest in the IMSA paddock about whether the, the, the car, the new Ford GT, whether there'll be enough of the streetcars built, um, whether the car's really a prototype that's been backwards engineered to be in GT, how it's going to work, add the... BMW likely to be in there as a GT3 car in IMSA only, of course. That won't be uh, a crossing FIA, WEC. What's happening with GTE and the, the GT generally at the moment? What's the feeling out there, Graham? Well, I think the answer is that you know, we, we had that, that great boost with the, um, the Ford program being announced at the Mon. Um, it looks a fantastic thing, but it does look to take the game pretty considerably further on visually certainly and in terms of the aero that we can see it's very much more dramatic aero setup than anything we've seen before we know there's a new rule set that this car will apply to it remains to be seen what we get from the rest of the pack you know, we know that aston martin uh, working on a new car we know the 488 ferrari is coming we that's know, not coming anytime soon no, I would no, say. Not coming anytime soon. I know they've got their issues in terms of but but you know Ford is probably the um the, the big news in terms of what we're going to see in the next year or so. Are there others looking? Yes there are without a shadow of a doubt. Um are they going to be here next year? No. Um are they uh, coming as as factory teams? I would like to think so. Yes. We just have to, I think, uh, show a little bit of patience. And from the point of view of, of IMSA, I think they're just going to have to tighten their belts and prepare for what might be a rocky ride next year. Uh, because whilst it's good news that Ford is coming, I think they bring with them um, a bit of a tsunami, actually. Uh, the, the rest are going to have to respond because if that car's even half as fast as it looks. It's going to be too quick for the rest. And there's no performance balancing, of course, in GTE. There's a technical rule book. And if Ford, and I'm sure Ford intend to build the road cars uh, and make that car legal, uh, and therefore it is, it will be legal. Um, I just think back to 97, 98, 99 and Porsche's 911 Evo. That was a GT car that won Le Mans outright, remember? Correct. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's, it's really a matter at this stage of, look, uh, it is important to get Ford here, mm. but they need to be aware of at what cost. 
they really need to fire that Phoenix project up a little bit, get the flames underneath it a little bit, <laughs> uh, burn a bit faster and get that P1 car that they've got under development at the moment. All right, Graham, thanks very much indeed for joining us this evening and working through your technical issues. We'll speak to you again next week. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Graham Goodwin, editor of dailysportscar.com, joining us from... Uh, uh, not just a shed, remember the shed, and that's s.h.e.d, Supreme Headquarters Endurance Directive, uh, the shed. Uh, and uh, Nick Damon is still Hello. here, which must mean we've Hello. still got something for him to talk about, Tim. Uh, I thought he was just hanging around in the hope there'd be more strawberries and cream. No, I've had mine. I had mine during the... Uh, the uh, Scott Atherton interview. Scott <laughs> yeah. Yes, he did very well. Glumped them down, he did. Has uh, he left some for you, John? I, I don't know yet. Yours downstairs. John, I... John, John, John can't have them because the only other free time he was doing the interview. Correct. So he timed that very badly. I did. Uh, Brian Dawkins says, any manufacturer looking to run in IMSA would be crazy not to consider water racing for their programme. Big results for the books. Uh, um, Brian Sellers says, Peter Bester, surely Ford are looking for drivers. He should be a shoe in there. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But I'm not sure it's going to be that easy. Tim, what do you have for Nick at the end of the show? Uh, we've got uh, three things still to do. Oh, excellent. Right, excellent. Uh, and we're going to start uh, with Silverstone. Oh, right. Really? What's, what's been happening there? Well, uh, obviously this weekend they have uh, an event. Do they? It's, it's not the biggest race in the UK, though. That's the 360. It's not, no. That's um, the 360 at Silverstone for Sig Trillions Trust. Uh, they are uh, planning to uh, bribe people. Uh, into thinking it's great. Really? Yeah. Is it because Bernie runs it? Uh, because everyone who goes and mm. who bought their tickets uh, via the Silverstone website yeah. uh, will get £10. Hey? Really? Yes. What, handed to them at the gate in the form of a crisp tip? No, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. It'll be uh, £10 off next year. Ah, ah I see. Yes. Come Excellent. once, come forever. We have you in our power. Providing they book their tickets by December the 18th. So give us your money early and we'll earn more than the 10 quid that we've given you by putting the money on deposit until next that year. That would be one hell of an interest rate they could do that. Yeah, uh, which bank have you found that will offer you that, John? It's a nice landing bank. It's triple A rated. It'll all be fine. <laughs> the mm. Bank of Burn. Who's been seeing all this then? Where's this come from? Uh, well, Silverstone uh, launched this as part of their 2016 pricing and mm-hmm. uh, tickets will go on sale this Friday. Mm-hmm. Um it means that the earlier you book, the lower the price you pay. So yep. if you book uh, on Friday or w- where you can only get them from the circuit or from Monday uh, by phoning, the three-day pass, mm-hmm. assuming you've got your £10 credit... For 16. This is for 16 yeah. ...will cost you £110. That's just circuit entry, though, isn't it? If you're an adult. Yeah. Uh, or will we... Free if you're a 10 or under, or half price if you're 11 to 15. Mm. Uh, so Silverstone's Has the ma- Silverstone boss had anything to say about it? Silverstone's that? managing director, uh, Patrick Allen, yep. uh, said uh, you really do benefit by uh, wasting no time here. Don't waste time. Start now. Well, yeah, Patrick very good. Allen, wise words there. Yes, wise words from uh, Patrick Allen. Very good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nick had no idea where that was going, did he? No, no. <laughs> um, 
Quick update, uh, just to prove we're live, it finished 1-1 between uh, uh, B36 Tushavan and uh, the for- team formerly known as Total Network Solutions. Okay. So second leg, same time. Are they, are they now just as team known as Squiggle? Yeah. Uh, more for Nick? Uh, more for Nick. Oh, uh, yes. We're... Can I take you back a week, dear listener? When Go Nick on. wasn't here and didn't offer apologies for absence, and I just told you in person, I thought I would do. And Jim Roller and I had a, a, a chat about Motor GP. Now, obviously, you've listened to the programme, Nick, because I know you yes. like to keep updated. I, I disagree vehemently with most of the one things that Jim and Shay said, <clears> but that was uh, there's no point shouting at the podcast. Did you shout at the podcast? I always shout at the podcast. Excellent stuff. That's a good podcast when you shout at it, you disagree that much. <laughs> what did what did we say about about Motor GP? It's fabulous. It's very tight. Uh, Lorenzo's on the way back, and mm. Rossi's biggest problem is qualifying. Yes, and what happened at the weekend at Assen on Saturday? He got a new version of his bike with a different chassis, and he put it on pole, and Lorenzo was eighth. And then what happened in the race? Uh, we had a fabulous battle between uh, Rossi and Mark Marquez, and Lorenzo got through to third, then drifted back a bit, much like everyone else. And there was a controversy on the last corner. Was there actually a touch on that? Yeah. If you haven't seen it, let's not spoil it for everybody. But well, it was brilliant. Should, by Wednesday, you should. I'm not going yeah, to. Yeah. So they, they effectively, <clears throat> from about lap two, Marquez was on uh, Rossi's back wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he got through after Rossi made a couple of mistakes. Rossi said he was getting tired, which seems unlikely. With about nine laps to go, I think more likely Rossi wanted to have a look at the back wheel of uh, Marquez. Uh, sized him up like he did and got through with about two laps to go. Couldn't quite gap him enough. Gapped about a third to half a second. Then coming into the last uh, corner, which is which is a, a, a quite a tight chicane at Assen in, in, uh, in Holland. Uh, there's a right for the the entrance is a right, the exit is a left, uh, and Mark Marquez just let off the brakes and dived up the inside to get the inside line for the first half of the chicane, and there's a coming together. And in doing that, he went uh, off to the right and just saved the bike. Uh, Rossi had to sit up and end up going over the gravel of the uh, on, of the, the uh, trap. Apparently, he just gassed it and it was with and he won. And everyone thought it was great, and uh, Honda got sulky. But basically, yeah, because they didn't like. Well, they, they said he, he should have. He cut the corner to win, but of course he was pushed off the track by their uh, rider, by Mark Marquez. Yeah, it was a good, tough but fair race. It was good that no one fell off. That would been that would been. Either of them fallen off. That would been really disappointing. Uh, Marquez came from way, way back, and um, and yeah, you, you know, whatever you may think about Rossi, he is charismatic, but he's also a very, very hard racer. You don't win nine world champions and destroy several careers without being a hard racer. Uh, and it's more great, more great events it is. So now he has a 10-point lead over Lorenzo and a 80-point lead over Marquez, or 79-point lead. I, I, I watched it; it was brilliant. Uh, Tim, a couple of tweets uh, from your Silverstone prices uh, mm-hmm. question. Alan Prosser says, uh, "So if I book a ticket for Silverstone 2050 or sometime far enough in advance, will they actually owe him money like that?" Uh, no, he's not taking into account inflation. Uh, and the Bernie factor, the Bernie multiplier. Or the fact uh, that will be at the Circuit of Wales by then. Yes, good point. Uh, Rotation <laughs> says, have Silverstone announced prices for any other events in 2016? They have. They've announced WC prices. Oh, how up, much though. is that? Gone they've up. gone up. <laughs> oh, wow, how so, much? So, while Formula 1 has come down in price, uh, you have to pay an extra £5 for your WEC tickets. For that, a weekend ticket's now 40 quid, is it? Yeah. That's yes. correct. Amazing. Uh, Stuart Hart says, uh, on GT, let's be honest, it needs a shake-up for the first time in years. I'm excited about the cars. The, the problem is, Stuart, and I had a word with some... I'm going to try and get this person on the phone. I'm going to say who it is. But they feel they've been forced into GT3 because they can't buy customer GTE cars. 
And the problem that they have about GT is very similar to I have. There's no technical specification. It's a balance of performance. So basically, you take anything. But the other problem that they have, which I've never thought of before, is there's no way to engineer the car. Because the car has to be presented exactly as per its passport every single event, 3,500 pictures. You can't even change a bolt or a nut, never mind anything to do with engineering the car and making it better. And, and this person uh, in the IMSA paddock said... I'm, I'm going to do GT3 next year. I will be in G the new GTD. But if I could buy a GTE car, I know it would be twice the money, but I think it would be a better bet. What we really need to Surely do is sell. force the manufacturers they to sell GTE cars. Ferrari do. Ferrari do. Corvette kind of don't. Aston Martin certainly would. Aston Martin do, and they work on a different business plan, Model, yeah, but... which, is, which is much more that way. Porsche haven't, really. No, they haven't got a car, have they? No, no, that GTE car they have. Oh, have, sorry, yes. Um, the new GT3 yeah, is coming you'd, out soon. You'd need to be in a long waiting list and historically loved them for years, wouldn't you, to get Well, this hit. person was um, oh. and can't get one out of Porsche. Um, and and that's your lot, really, isn't it, when you, you think about it? All right, let's uh, let's move on. Nearly the end of the show, Tim. Uh, what, uh, what is uh, going downhill in uh, terms of its standards? Driving. No. Bobsleigh. No. Uh, Pushing. Um, uh, push pedal carts. Trophies. Trophies oh. are going down in terms of the standard, are they? They're getting more plasticky. Uh, they are in a shocking state, says Lewis Hamilton. He didn't like the. Tro- he really didn't like the trophy he got last year for the British Grand Prix, did he? And he's been warned that he'll get the same trophy again this year. Well, I'm sure he'll be happy to. It means he's won. No, that's not what's important to him. He wants the uh, big uh, gold RAC. Uh, trophy and not a bit of plastic so, shaped so like a credit card. What Lewis wants is something big, golden, blingy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Surprise there then. We well, just need to make big, better trophies, big, uh, sorry, says Hamilton. Next. It's shocking how bad they are. It's like being at go-kart level. It was really bad. Formula Renault was little boxes with a car in the middle. Formula 3 was good. In the beginning of my Formula 1 career, the trophies were really good. But now they're just terrible, man. They're so bad. (laughs) I told Bernie and he got the trophy guy in the room and I just said, you know. And like stuff. I'd like to point out I I have smuggled a trophy for Bernie. Uh, Is that a euphemism? No, it's true. I've smuggled a trophy for Bernie. So basically what Lewis wants is a nice big tourist trophy type event. So what he's saying there, he's hinting, he's already thinking about moving into sports cars. It's not just Silverstone's trophy that's come under criticism from Hamilton. Did you see the Monaco one? Well, no, because he just got the wrong one. That's why he's upset about that. He got third, but he thought he should have got first. And the last yeah. one in wo- on, in Austria was wooden. The whole thing was wooden. The base was like lead. I mean, what? It's supposed to be silver. Hang on. The base was like lead, but it was made... Well, how, what wood weighs the same as lead? Uh, <laughs> the stuff that they make bales out of. So, sorry, he, Lignum vitae. What he's saying is you, you, you have to have a big silver blingy trophy. You can't make something out of wood. He's happy for them to be gold. So if he had a Francis Bacon original sculptured trophy, he'd rather have something goldy, plastic and bigger. No, he doesn't want plastic. No, he doesn't want plastic. Plastic's well, bad. He wants precious metals. But surely, is he actually, obviously, is he, is it, the point about it was that in the beginning of his career, he couldn't keep them anywhere because Ron kept them all. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which is why ah, he's which so why I didn't concerned care about them that uh, um, oh. now that he's able to keep the trophies, all he's getting is little bits of plastic sponsor stuff. I was once served a, a Coca-Cola on the winning uh, dri- winning driver's trophy from the German Grand Prix. Very nice. Which year? 
Uh, I was in Jack Stewart's house, so work out what the year uh, was. Right, okay. But it was it wasn't him; it was his team. Good news, rally fans. All right, come on. All oh, rallying has been cancelled. We never had to go rally again. Uh, Britain's premier <laughs> national rally series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the MSA British Rally Championship is back for 2016. Is it sponsored by Kick Energy? After it's taken its year off, no. Has no Sit this year off, it's been all over the place. <laughs> it's been backpacking around Thailand, yeah. holding special stages in Burma. Holiday here's, of a lifetime. Here's Not the, doing that Here's again. the calendar, still Beach subject racing. to approval by the MSA. Uh, in March, they do the Midwell stages, which are gravel. <laughs> April, Circuit of Ireland on tarmac, and then the Pirelli Rally on gravel. May is a Jim Clark Rally on tarmac. June, the Scottish Rally on gravel. August, uh, the Ulster Rally on tarmac, and September, the Granite City Rally on, on gravel. On granite? No, oh. gravel. Not, little bits of granite. Little tiny very, bits of granite. It's a terrible case of stereotyping that the Irish rallies were on tarmac. Very good. It's funny you <laughs> should mention Scottish Irish rallying because... Oh, no, I, no, just no, before you move to... on, you've mentioned the MSA. I, I, I did this the last <laughs> time. Can I just once again give a massive, massive thank you to the licence de- renewal department at... Um, at MSA House for doing their Colbrook, job who, <laughs> no, but do, doing it in a pleasant way telling me how to do it so that I can save myself some money helping me make it do it and delivering it to me while I was standing outside making a phone call having a bottle of water trying to rehydrate and particularly to Stuart who is brilliant thank you very much because the because of what you've done this weekend, I get a race this weekend for the sickchildrenstrust.org uh, at the 360 uh, this Excellent. weekend. Stuart, brilliant. I actually had the email um, and saying we're processing it, and then the second email saying it's being sent to you as he walked out to me and handed it to me, which I thought was brilliant. Right, carry on. We're in a bit of overtime here. We are, uh, but Ireland could be back on the WRC calendar. Right. Uh, because uh, there have been issues with some of the existing rallies, notably Argentina, where there just because you were don't some like rallying, safety issues, and oh, Sardinia, where they have some disagreements between the local organisers and the FIA over what a rally should constitute, and Corsica, who basically want to do one stage that lasts for three and a half days, <laughs> so what you're and have no money. None of the promoters actually want to hold a rally in the format the FIA want to have rallying in. Well, no, because they're all promoted by uh, Red Bull Media House now. The good news is that the RSA, the Roger Albert Clark rally, will start in Sunderland again this year, and I've got to work out whether I can go up and actually see it this year. I'm sure it'll clash with something. It's bound to. Right, there's no time for anything else uh, this evening. We were going to talk about Formula E, but... Uh, Congratulations to Nelson Piquet. That conversation went a bit flat, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, um, I can't. You know, I can't bring myself to say that. What? Congratulations to Nelson Piquet Jr. Mm. Mm. He's a much nicer person than his dad. That's a bit like saying Hitler's ah! father is okay. You can't bring him into the conversation. Oh, I've, lo- I've lost internet, haven't I? I've lost internet when you bring that one in. Don't do that. Right, let's move. Uh, that's it then. Uh, there's no time to explain. We'll be back next week, probably, maybe, if any one of us are around. But if we aren't, we'll send apologies for absence. And the Llama is staying up to watch the football. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.